0: good day and hello. Thank you once again for swinging by the stream today. Today is episode 11 of our Merged Worlds Dungeons & Dragons story stream. That's a lot considering And uh, we look at this. We've been doing about two hours an episode at this point, maybe a little over most of the time. Hello, Philip. Welcome to the stream. Thank you for coming by, sir. Yeah. So, this is episode 11, so the first 10 averaged right about two hours or a little more apiece. That is 20 hours already out there of this story. And, man, we barely scratched into it, to be honest with you. Everything that happens from this point is much more detailed than the first few episodes so it's exciting to get into you know, some of the real, what I call big stuff I guess epic stuff the, the stuff that determines everything moving forward um, it's cool to be getting into that and sharing that with you all and knowing that there's still so much left to cover but um, again as usual we'll give it a few minutes and allow a few people to slide in here uh, and hello Teresa happy Easter to you as well Thank you for coming by. Um, Easter so far has been relatively uneventful. Of course, with everything going on, most people are just sticking with it at home. I had an Easter nap. That was nice. And I'm officially old. When on my day's off, I'll nap for an hour on the couch. Wake up with two cats on top of me. That is not a complaint, by the way. Just an observation. Uh, But we'll give it a couple minutes to kick in. Then we'll just do a real brief recap of the last couple of things that we touched on last episode. Um, and then we will move into this episode, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, last episode, we did introduce several new characters in a bit more detail. Um, if you were here last time, you will remember that uh, the young lad, Tobias, ended up joining us temporarily uh, on his quest to become a mage, to become a wizard. He traveled with us to Paxawall where uh, we then... He left our group to go and potentially join the Wizards' Conclave at the Wizards' Tower of that city, uh, which is one of the two main buildings in Paxaball. Um It's on the... I didn't really go into a lot of detail about the city, but I'm going into a little bit more. It is on the western side of the city, and then on the eastern side of the city is where we find the Great Temple. Um, and mean Great Temple, of course, is where our characters went to... Um, drop off the box Brother Willem had them get from the underground maze-like thing they did last time. Um, <clears throat> that's where they found out that he was never really intended to get the box. He was given an impossible quest in the hopes that it would keep him from drawing more attention to it. Um, and so with the party's help, he succeeded where they never expected him to. At least that's what the current clerics there believe. Because they are from a separate world than he was. But that inside of it was part of the essence of a goddess um, that needs to be kept away so that she, the goddess Pandora, can never again walk in mortal form on the world. Because she's tried to take over the world several times. She's the goddess of deceit and lies. Um, Hello, Lend the Beast. Welcome. So they took that over and then learning that that was a uh, pretty BA box... They met three of the. They met the three head clerics of the temple. um, Brother Bartholomew, or Brother Bart as he's known, uh, who's the cleric of light, who's the head cleric of the temple. uh, Sister Mara, and Brother Lycos. And now Brother Lycos is currently off protecting the box until they can find a more, I guess you could say, uh, defensible protector location for it. So now one of those clerics must be with it at all times, uh, because they realize how important it is. So our characters then um, were said that the clerics at the temple said, yes, we're going to help you. We're going to basically pray on it. We'll do some research. We, they, The party explained that they were looking for these gems, the Vasani gems, or the Vasani stones, um, and that they're seeking them out. Um, they only have one so far, so... They also were setting up a meeting with them with the head mages of the mage tower. That had not happened yet. So um, that was kind of where we left off. They were setting that up. Uh, They were made welcome in the temple, uh, all of them to stay. Especially Artemis, of course, being cleric of Tavian, the god of healing. Um, So they were all kind of hanging out there, just trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, the temple was going to be looking in to see what they could find out, information-wise, because, of course, they're very powerful in the city, and then setting up a meeting with them with the mages, which is where we're going to kind of start off today. Um, so that's that's kind of a catch-up, if you will. Uh, Paxiwal, again, was a, a farming city, originally, uh, but after the Great Merge, it found that the bottom section of its city was gone, and in its place was an ocean. Um, and so they are... Quickly adapting to farming in the north and fishing and trade via ocean in the south, uh, they already have some uh, trade agreements with Arduel, which is where Prince Christopher, a party, saved him in his kingdom uh, to the east. And then um, there is a there is another kingdom to the west on the other side of the mountain range named Thoriman. We haven't learned much about them, but that's something. It's a human kingdom. Um, but they learned that that's also some stuff going on there. Darsh was excited to hear that there's also a Minotaur kingdom. Uh, in there's three islands in the south, uh, down in the ocean, uh, that are all Minotaur, uh, and all three of them are from different worlds. And this is where, you know, it's it's mentioned. Um, hey, how odd is that? That three Minotaur islands would all pop up really close to each other in the ocean. You know, for this merge thing to be all random and grabbing worlds, that seems a little coincidental, um, and that you know kind of was something that drew their attention. And they got that when they met their, they met two new friends in the temple, uh, Zach uh, and Twill, who is a Kender and a human, um, who are basically known as map makers. They they've been traveling around mapping out this new world, and so they're always welcome in the temple because they're bringing incredibly detailed maps. Um, and, you know, just kind of helping with the mapping of the area. So they're kind of welcome in any of the kingdoms at this point because they're openly sharing it. They're not trying to sell it. They're like, hey, here's maps of stuff, of what's around you. And in a world where everything's gone topsy-turvy, information is imperative. So I will take a sip of my orange mango drink, and then we will begin this episode. Most excellent. So the, uh, the the meeting with the wizards they've arranged was going to be a couple days later. So the party had a little bit of time to, you know, kind of wander around the city and and get their bearings. Uh, There's, of course, a lot of stores and shops and different things they learn about that the city has a quickly growing navy, but it already had a very strong just army, military itself uh, because it was a pretty powerful kingdom on its original world. Um... And with it being vast farmlands originally all the way around it, they had to have a lot of manpower to protect or defend that. So they have a pretty strong standing army. Um, The navy, they're trying to grow as quickly as they can. But again, when you're a city that was originally landlocked and suddenly you're on the edge of the water, that's a a rush. But you're having to learn new things and put new stuff together. So um, they learn that there's a different military. They work together. As I mentioned last time, Paxiwal is a democratic-led Thing. there are different factions that have votes there's the merchant's guilds and things of that nature uh, the, t- the mages and the clerics each have three votes on the council so it's run kind of that way um, very, uh, very pragmatic that way So they, uh, there was a great marketplace and that's where a lot of people come to make their trade um, they did learn that the uh, kingdom of Kronear which is the Minotaur kingdom has a sm- section there as well People there doing their wares, so they were looking around and kind of just investigating the city as a whole, which was, you know, kind of interesting on their part just to see what was all going on there. Darsh was very eager to learn if any of the islands and such on the Minotaur Kingdom were from his homeland. You know, it's the first real Minotaur type settlements he's heard of since coming to this new world. Um, I do want to quickly reference that a lot of times you're going to notice that I don't mention the names of the original worlds. Uh, some of them have names, some of them do not. A lot of these characters are from completely different worlds in general. Even the the party here, you've got Mercy, Darsh, Artemis, and Dandy are all from completely different worlds. Um, but I don't talk about the original worlds at this point, because uh, right now it's, to be honest, not important. Um, some of them will be more important later, and we'll come in those as it happens. Uh, but in the early days, since so many people are from so many different places, hey... Just naming your world, does this sound familiar? Um, in groups, or... You come, you show up to, in Paxiwal, and you're like, Hi, I'm from this world. Do you know if there's anywhere around this kingdom where there's parts of my world? That's a very common conversation you have in any new organ, uh, organized place you show up. A city, a town, a temple. Um, and so it's assumed that the party does that everywhere they go. I'm not going to touch on it. Every new place where they find somebody to ask, Hey, have you heard of my homeland and my homeland? Everybody does that everywhere they go. It's quite common. Even if a boat was to slide up in Paxawal and dock, they get off, they're like, hi, we just found your city, we're a boat. Have you heard of our land? That's that a lot of travelers are doing that. Now, a lot of your lower caste people, the people who are just too poor to travel, or the average man, your farmers, your lumberjacks, your miners, the people that, you know, there, wherever they popped in, most of them are just trying to continue living, build a new life in this new world where possible. You know, if you lived in a small farming community and suddenly you're next to a, you know, massive goblin kingdom, you might want to move, you know. But uh, overall, people, the, the majority of people are just trying to build their life again, starting over uh, in the new world that's around them. But those who are traveling and actively seeking out, um, especially your mages and your clerics, the people that are trying to figure out what happened, that conversation of, hey, this is my world has anybody heard of any of that around here? That happens with everyone everywhere you go. So I don't touch on that much in the story because it's kind of an assumed thing. Even when we were playing the game, this when this actual story was taking place, the characters never had to mention that. That was something we talked about early. I'm assuming you're going to ask this everywhere. If it's a situation where you don't want to ask it, tell me and we won't. So it's kind of the other way around. And there were situations where you're trying to infiltrate or you're pretending you're from somewhere you're not. Get down in the story where they're like, okay, we're going in here, but we're not going to say where we're from. In those situations, then that conversation with the new people didn't happen. But the rest of the time, it's assumed that it did. So I did get asked a question about the original worlds. Will we find out where they're from and such? Down the road, we will some of them. And because it's more important to the story at that point. So they're bumbling around. Uh, Darsh finds out that the three islands themselves are not from his world, He does get that information, uh, because that's kind of pertinent to right now. Um, The Elven Kingdom that was far to the west of Arduel is not where Artemis is from, just to throw those two out. Um, But everywhere else, nobody's come across anything from their homelands yet. So they spent a couple days around town, you know, just looking for information themselves, hitting up different locations. Here's a bar, here's a an inn where people, travelers meet. Uh, traveling merchants may stop in the, the marketplace, so they're asking those who travel, hey, have you heard of this? Have you heard anything about the stones? And the stones are rough because you're trying to ask about them without giving them away. Have you heard of any weird occurrences? Any, you know powered things like, say, some type of monster, some type of military, some type of an event that's obviously magical in nature. Have you heard of any of these things? Um, because they need to find this out, but at the same time, they don't want to draw attention to what they're looking for. The last thing you want is to tell the world, hey, there's a bunch of overwhelmingly powered rocks kicking around here somewhere, and if you get a hold of them, you can do super stuff with them. You don't want everyone to know that, because then everybody will be looking for them. We don't need that kind of competition. So after a couple of days of just hanging around the city... Uh, they, uh, they've they been talking with Sister Mara at the temple. Um, as we know, Brother Lycos is off protecting Pandora's box and Brother Bart has been in prayer for the last couple of days. He's taken to his personal chambers and he's just praying for guidance and looking to see if he can get any uh, information himself while Sister Mara and Brother Lycos have the Temple as a whole, sending their feelers out with their network of information and such, as well as searching their library for any references of the stones, Zoltan, any of the stuff that they can pull up. After a couple of days, they're called in by Sister Mara. That morning, they wake up. Sister Mera's like, uh, we've made arrangements for you to meet with the head of the Wizards Council today at the Mage Tower. Um, all three of them, We've been. they would have been here sooner, but one of them was away, um, researching something wizard stuff, they didn't tell us. Uh, but all three of them returned, and they, they would like to meet you all themselves. We have only given them an idea, a glimpse of the story, because we, we felt it was better that they hear it in your words as you've lived it. Um, Sister Mara says, we I do recommend that you be completely honest with it. Oh, what's that here? Uh, Becca says, my dumb self read on your post that it was YouTube streaming, not Twitter. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I do all my streaming on YouTube pretty much now. Um, that's pretty much the channel and where most of the community is. But I appreciate you swinging by. Um, but they're like, we feel it's best that you be open and honest with the wizards. Um, we have a very good working relationship with the mage. And we believe that the best way they're going to be able to help you find what you're looking for is if they have all the information. Um, we have also recommended not telling everybody in the world, but with the mages, you should tell them everything. The party's like, okay, we understand. Um a guide from the city, one of the Templars, takes them to the to the Mage Tower after they've had breakfast, you know, had their snacks and such. And uh, they make their way to the Mage Tower. So, when they get to the tower itself, the tower itself has a very high wall around it. It has a very big open front gate that is kept open. There are people there watching it. But not just anybody can go in and out of the Mage Tower. Um, you have to have specific business there, specific request, or be a mage. Mages have pretty much in and out process as they need. The clerics also have the access to come into the mage tower pretty much as needed, just as the mages have a a much greater access to the cleric temple. So that's, again, those two groups work very well together. Sometimes they're opposed in different matters, but overall they realize that as the two most powerful groups in this area anyways, it's better to work together than opposed. You know, they'll get more stuff done and most of their goals usually align anyways protecting expanding the city so on so they're taken by the templar the templar does not go in he leaves them at the gate but they meet a couple mages at the edge uh, at the door the mages uh, are very large you know you a lot of times you'll picture uh, you know in your books your wizards your small frail thing not in merge worlds uh, mages come in all sizes and shapes um and races as well uh, but there are different types of mages in my world which are a lot are like subclasses you can find in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, some of them are of my own creation, and some of them are just taken from different um, Dungeons & Dragons guides and such. Um, but battle mages themselves, a lot of times, or uh, will be larger, because they're physically combat. Uh, they have a, a 50-50 physical combat, so it's more like a, uh, uh, let's just say, like a, a mage-warrior dual-class kind of thing, or multi-class. So, they're met with some of them, and they're they're escorted in. Uh, they're taken to the tower, which is pretty big. The wall, again, is made of black stone, and it's smooth. There's no cracks in it. Um, and they're told very, very right off the bat, before they even get there, that the walls are, of course, magically defended. And at any time that the mage, close, mage tower closes the gates in an emergency situation, um, there's no going over the wall. It, the magic protects it completely like a shell. When the gate closes, the whole thing's enclosed. Um, the clerics have some magic of their own for the temple that works kind of the same way. It'll be a while before we ever see if any of that has to happen. but um, So they're taken inside the tower. Uh, they're not really given a tour, if you will, but as they're going through the outer grounds, they see it's very lush. There's flowers, a little pond, garden. It's a lot of inside space. Uh, a lot of young mages and such just talking, hanging out, um, chatting and such. Nobody's out here casting spells, of course. Uh, that would be silly. Um, but they do make it inside. They're taken to a, a very private chamber. Um, again, c- kind of like the one they found in the temple. Uh, they're given some seats. They're given some uh, drinks. There's a plate of fruit and cheese and bread put out. You know, it's very hospitable. Um, but they're left kind of to sit there in a room for quite a while. Almost an hour before finally the uh, Elder Mages come in. Now, Elder Mages is not age, but, but rank. Um, much like the temple... Uh, it's ruled by the three mages, and in this, it's it's in this tower, or at least this wizards group. Um, it's, there's always going to be one per alignment. There's going to be a good and neutral and a black wizard. Doesn't necessarily mean you're always good or evil, so on. But they they realize that balance is very important. Um, so the three clerics that come in are Marissa, Lamia, and Craven. Um, now Marissa is the head cleric, or sorry, head head mage. At this point in time, she's the head mage of the tower. So she is um, of, did you say, the good wizard, if you will. Um, in a lot of Dungeons and Dragons stories, you know, bad guys always wear black, neutral always wears red, so on and so forth. Mages on this world are not like that. You can wear just about any color you want. Sometimes the color you're wearing will point to different affiliations. Uh, different mage subsects or organizations. Um, but there's no specific coloring. You can be a good mage and wear a black robe. You can be a bad mage and wear a white robe. There's not a lot of rules there. We learned that earlier when a white robe mage turned on the party, if you'll remember, uh, back before the big battle there. So when they come in, this one's color-wise pretty much going to fall on the standard lines, though. Um, Marissa, who is the head, she wears a, g- a light, very light gray robes. Um, Lemia, who is a cleric of the neutral affiliation, is a red robes, and Craven does wear black. Um, But, of course, he's known as Craven the Black. Lemia just wears red. So they come in, sit down, introduce themselves. Marissa does most of the talking. Um, She thanks them for coming in. They say they've heard a little bit of what's going on and what's happening, um, and they would like to hear... The, the party's story in in detail. Um, they were warned, again, to be honest with them, and they were told to, to, that the wizards know about Pandora's box as well, so that's not something that they have to keep hidden. That's way too powerful for the clerics to at least not bring the wizards in, especially bringing that in there. Again, having that relationship in the city, it's important. So let's take a look at our clerics here. So Marissa, who is the head cleric, that's her. Um, if you're new to the channel or new to the story, you'll, you'll know that I, uh, I like to use actors and actresses or celebrities of some kind to give an example of what people look like. Um, sometimes it's not exact, sometimes it's close, but the concept there is that when I'm describing a character, what I see is what you see. So we have that, that same idea. Um, so Marissa, head cleric, uh, actually the youngest of the three by far, um, but because we're ranked very powerful. Uh, that is her right there. And then, we'll take her down, and then next is Lamia. Angelica Houston. Uh, Lamia is the oldest of the three. And even though she's not the evil one, she's definitely the curmudgeon of the three. Um, (laughs) that's just kind of how that works. Um, but she is Lemia, and she wears red. Coincidentally, I found a picture of her wearing red because I thought that would be fitting. Um, so that is Lemia, and that's Brother Light Ghost. That's the wrong one. And Craven. There we go. I think we all know Craven. He's a villain ninety-nine percent of the time. But again, I want to clarify that just because he's the evil wizard and he wears black does not necessarily make him a villain per se of the story. It just means that his goals and aspirations align better with that alignment than the others. It's important. There's not a lot of clear-cut good and evil in Merged World. Some of the best people do the worst things. So those are our three mages here. Um, And again, they're important. They're going to be here for a while. That's why we've got pictures to show them. Um, So the party does exactly that. They go through the story, giving as much detail as they can, talk about their friends, everything that happened since the Merge, Uh, Zoltan, the demigod, giving them the quest all the way up to the stones. When they get up to the stones, they explain that they have one. It's attached to Artemis' staff, if you'll remember. She merged it to that, so her staff is very powerful. They ask to see it. She offers them to take it. They do. They inspect it, so on and so forth. They don't cast any magic on it. They're not being that, but they do. Then return it to her, um, and they, they go into great detail. And they're, and they're taking notes, like they're listening specifically. And they do very little interruptions, except for occasionally to stop and, hey, can you clarify this? What did it look like? That kind of a thing. So once the party goes through their whole story, and they're like, so that's what it is. We're looking for these gems so we can get these artifacts back, so we can try to fix the world um, and get the gods back access. The mages are very, very interested because, you know. All this happened through magic. Hearing the story of Rafe and Nihilat and how all this began uh, answers a lot of the questions they've had since the merge. They've been working trying to figure out what's caused all this themselves. And while they've come across different clues, getting that that specific order of events is really going to help them with what they're trying to do. Figure out the order of events, what caused it, what type of spells, what can fix it. So they're very, very uh, appreciative of that information. That helps them a lot. They do ask some random questions of the group. Um, they talk that not only have they, you know, done this... They've done a little bit of their own magical spellsy stuff over the last couple days. Another reason why they didn't see the party right away... They actually sent some of their people out to investigate some pieces of the story they were given. Find out, was this true? Did this really happen? Kingdom of Firemen exists. They know about Kingdom of Firemen. They know about R.D.L. Reach out to King Prince Christopher, who's now King Christopher... Did they really help you get your kingdom back? Every, they, they were honest. They're like, we sent people out to find out whether or not you're lying. And everything that's come back to us is that you're telling the truth. Um, so at this point, your story works for us. We're going to buy into it. You know, What is it all 100% accurate? Well, we're taking that with a grain of salt. But definitely the vast majority of it is. Um, and El, the story you just told us matches with the events we've already researched. Lamia even mentions at one point that they even confirmed with... Tobias, who that has been accepted into the tower. In fact, uh, she, he is currently working under her supervision. Not her direct apprentice, but within her, her group, if you will. Again, neutral. He stepped into a neutral role. Um, so he is, an, he is now an official apprentice under one of Lemia's minorlings. Um, and they questioned him as well, found what they've learned of him in the story. That part was true as well. So, like, we are definitely going to help you. Um, These are magical artifacts that you're looking for so that you can find more magical artifacts. Now, that's right up our alley, you know. Um, And we would definitely like to see some of these things, but we are, as much as, of course, we'd love to get our hands on some magical artifacts, for many of us, finding a way to reconnect with the lands that we're from um, and the people that have gone missing is important to us as well. So, We're going to assist you, at least for the time being, um, with the assumption that you're going to get these artifacts and keep them or return them to this demigod. Although none of them have ever heard of Zoltan. None of them know of any demigod of that nature. They have no experience on any of the worlds that they've looked at, at least under that name, are they aware of. Not saying he's not real. They're just saying they don't have any experience on any of the worlds they have have access to. And they have a great library as well, so they have a lot of information. And they've been gathering a lot on the New World as well. So they said, we are going to have to do some looking into how best assist you as well. Um, we are going to take some time to talk about it. Um, we will send for you. I'm, we're told that you're, you're staying here at the temple. That's fine. Uh, we will send for you when... Uh, when we have need or we have information for you, we are going to do some extra research now that we have some of those holes filled, and see what we can get for you to get us on the right path. Party's appreciative. They head back out. They're escorted out of the out of the uh, mage tower. They go back to the temple. A couple of more days go by. Now, right now, a lot is not happening actually because there was a lot of political meeting of people and such, and setting this the stage for the story. That some of it ended up working out down the road, some of it end up being kind of we never really developed on, so I'm not going into a lot of that. Um, the important stuff I'm touching on, because we're going to be working on that for a while in the story. So, after a couple of days, it's about midday, they're having a lunch outside, there, there's a small... Um, You'd say, in not far from the temple, that they found they really enjoy the food, and it's nice to get away from the quietness of the temple, especially for folks like Darsh and Mercy, who are a little bit more rowdy and boisterous. Um, They they like to eat out there, so they'll hang out there, and then sometimes they'll wander off on their own, search the city, look for things, talk to people, get as much information as they can. Try to build their own set of contacts. For those of you who've just tuned in, I guess I should mention our four main party members is Mercy, a female human warrior, Darsh, a male minotaur warrior, Artemis, an elven female cleric of healing, the god Tavian, and Dandy, a kender female uh, rogue, for all intents and purposes, or thief. So... Darshan, Darshan, his three ladies. Although, they do most of the work. <laughs> Darshan's, a, Darshan's a big dude, but a lot of the uh, the real political stuff comes from Artemis and and uh, Mercy. They do a lot of that, so uh, they work real well together. So, they're getting, they're at their inn, and they're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to go look at this today, I'm going to go talk and do these things. Well, they're getting ready to do that when a Templar comes in from the temple and knows they're there, comes to them and says, um, Introduces, hi, they know him. His name, we'll call him Bob. It's whatever. Anytime I don't have an important person, I'm just going to call him Bob. So Bob the Templar is like, hey, I've come, I've been sent to get you. Um, it's been almost a week and a half, but Brother Bart has uh, come out of his prayers or self isolation um, and has asked to speak with you immediately. And I've been asked to bring you back to the temple. Party's like, oh, okay, definitely, we'll do that. So, Bob takes them back to the temple. They get in there. Sister Mara is waiting for them, almost at the front gate. Uh, again, they've not seen Bart or Lykos since that first day. Brother Lykos is supposedly still out there taking care of Pandora's box, and Bart has been basically locked in prayer. Um, and they're taken to that room where they first met every, where they first talked to them. Um, and Maris is sitting with them. Sister Mary says, he's going to be here in a moment. He's having a quick bite to eat. He hasn't eaten in a week. That's normal. He's fasting. He's in prayer. Um, but he has some important news. So after a few minutes, Brother Bart comes in. He looks a little ragged. Again, not like disheveled. He's not shaved, that kind of stuff. Uh, but he's literally just been straight in prayer and fasting, living on just a little bit of water. Um, entering into basically a, a magical type prayer, trying to directly commune with his god, or goddess in this situation, the goddess of light. Um, that is something that very powerful clerics can do. Um, it's been much harder since merge. the merge happened, because, again, the world has been locked off, and the gods can't... They can send their magic through somewhat to be able to grant spells, but they have a very, very difficult time directly communing. Um, and Brother Bart says that He did not get, he he said, he was, yeah, I didn't have a conversation with the goddess, but I was granted visions. Um, After days to the point of near sheer exhaustion, um, I felt that, you know, nothing was going to happen. I was, I I felt my goddess's magic around me. Uh, I was bathed in a light. There's no physical light, magical light. I could sense the light. I felt my god's touch. And at that moment, I was given visions. I do not know what they mean but I know that they're directly something important based on you. This is something that affects you and that I need to give these messages to you. I saw in my mind's eye four stones. Kind of. I saw a blue stone. And it, and around it was a blue of, of, a more, of a darker color, just a swirling blue around it. And it was cold, And it appeared to be dripping like a wet stone, like it was in a a room of dampness and moisture was falling off of it. And around it was just a swirling blue. He said, I also saw one that was red and it was bathed in flames, but in the center of it was a pupil, like it was a flaming eye. But the flames themselves were surrounded by green, like a dull grain in the background with a flaming ball in front of it with the red stone. The third that I saw, I couldn't see. I could only sense it. And I know that that stone was in a place where even the gods can't walk. He goes, what that means, I don't know, but I sensed that was was. The third stone is in a place where even the gods can't walk. And then the fourth stone itself had no, had a color of changing from like a whitish to a blackish back and forth, kind of like a swirling inside of it. And the coldness I felt off of it was enough to... I, I thought I was going to freeze instantaneously to death. The cold would kill me. And I knew that that stone sat where the Lord of Death sits. I don't know what this Lord of Death is. It's not a term. These are words that came to me in the vision. These words matched with these images came to me and then when I felt the cold was going to just completely take me out, that it was, I wasn't going to be able to take it a moment longer, I felt the light again flash around me. I felt the warmth of my goddess, and then it ended, and I found myself on the ground, barely able to move. It took me a while to gain the strength just to be able to reach out and get some water and then finally call for assistance. Because Bart's old. He's an old guy. It was a lot of magical strain. That's, and you can imagine if the gods were having a hard time getting through, God had to a thro- oh, God had to throw some serious mojo behind that spell, to be able to get it to him at that point. Which a means it's important, which to Brother Bart means yes, we're doing the right thing, helping you. And two, this is serious business. So he says, those are the four, those are the four images I was given. Because I don't know which stone's which. We can assume if the one you have is a life gem it's a greenish color but the bluish one was wet the party's talking it over with Bart okay water gem we know that some of these deal with the elements that makes sense red one fire easy enough so water and fire gems Makes sense the third one we don't know the color we can only sense the stone we knew it was where of course as we mentioned or even the gods can't walk no idea what that means He's already got people working on it. Sister Mara and the party, they don't have any idea what that means. Um, and then the fourth one asks for the where the Lord of Death sits. There is no Lord of Death that they're aware of. There is a God of Death. grab the name of the God of Death here. I want to butcher it. Helena is the Goddess of Death. And so he says, but the, the image in the, in the aura I felt was, was purely male. So it was not Helena that, this, that it was speaking of in that image, but a lord of death of which I have no idea what that means. Um, these are things that we're going to have to research and look into it. Um, but I know that these, were, these are meant to guide you. These are meant to help you get to the stones that you're looking for. Um, I have to rest now. I'm really, really tired um but i'm going to you know we're going to do everything we can to help you sister Mara is like because she hadn't heard this yet either she's like wow this is this is pretty big a god specifically reached out and touched you for the first time since the merge have any of them ever been able to directly commune with one of their gods so that's a big deal to the temple right now and that's something that they say we're not going to say what we heard but we're going to let all the clerics around here know that we were successful that's going to be a big boon to the faithful hey A god has actually reached out and spoken to the first time in forever. That's serious business. We're going to make sure that spreads. As to what the message was, it was only meant for Brother Bart, which everyone can understand, he's the high cleric. It came from the goddess of light, the most powerful of the good gods. So, of course, it would come to him. But that's going to be a big boon to the faithful. And that's something that they're going to be happy about. So is going to see to that. The party has now got another direction. We have to look and see okay, now that we have these images, we have these visions, we have something a little bit more definitive to ask for. Hey, have you heard of anything about fire in green? Have you heard anything about blue? How about a place where gods can't walk? Have you heard anything about a lord of the death? Still very, very vague, but it gives them something to start talking about, start asking around, and something for the temple and the mages to research. Mara says that they will have that information sent to the mages immediately as well. So we then enter into another time period where the party is left kind of waiting to figure out what's happened. Now, while they're in the city, they've they've been able to upgrade some of their gear. The temple has made sure that they're well armed, they've got clothing, basic supplies, and stuff, and they're packed ready to go should any information come up about any of the stones. Um, the moment that goes the, you know, other than like foodstuffs, so they'll get that immediately. But they're ready to go should that time come. Because they're basically just sitting on their hands, and it's starting to really, really wear on them. They're starting to get very, very irritated about it, because this is the longest period they've gone without really having a directive since they met Zoltan, like, a, over a year ago. Finally, there's a breakthrough in the case. Um, they're brought to Sister Mara, who... Brother Bart is there as well, but Sister... He's, he's looking much better now, it's been a few days... And there's another gentleman there that they don't know. Now, this man is well-armed. He has uh, armor on, not like huge shoulder World of Warcraft, but he's in well, and you can tell that he's a man of rank. And real quick, let me grab his name, so I don't give you the wrong one here. His name is Jax, J-A-X. Jax Ironstar is actually his name. And he is head of the Paxiwant Naval Forces. And he's there to tell them, I don't know if this is what you're looking for or not, but we have been having issues over the past, we'll say couple of months, but over the past couple of weeks, they seem to have been increasing. Um, We have ships now that go out, we're doing trade and so on and so forth, as well as, you know, just seeking information. Are there other cities and countries and such we have we might be able to trade with? What else is around us? So they're doing investigative stuff as well as just regular business stuff as well as protection stuff. So the Navy's kind of threefold there. Um, With this ocean that they have that never existed before, that's a lot to research. They found the Minotaur Islands. Are there other islands of something else out there? And he states that occasionally some ships had gone missing. That's not good. They definitely researched it, but they felt it was probably to weather or so on and so forth. The naval still being relatively new, they have brought on some very experienced people, but a ship going missing now and again, especially not knowing what all is out in the world around us, uh, while not good, also not completely unexpected. But over the past couple weeks, several more ships have gone missing, but they seem to be missing going from the same approximate area to the southwest. And the ships that have gone missing seem to be more trade ships. So there's ships that go through that area. As I mentioned, there's Thorman, the the kingdom to the west. And they're opening trade with them. It's very base. There's no hardcore alliance yet, but there is some basic trade stuff going on. And it seems to be trade ships. That are going missing. Navy ships are having no problem, even just personal vessels, if you will. But anything that ha- and nothing is going missing on the way to Thorman. It's only on the way back when they are more laden with Thorman goods. Because Paxwal taking goods as well, but it's coming back with goods that Thorman makes that Paxwal does not. Every kingdom's got its specialties, of course. Um. Thorman itself is like not right on the ocean. It was, I want to say, it was like forty, like a thirty or forty-minute walk. It's a distance away. They've built down to that now, and they already had some small in the ocean because the the water was south of Thorman on their original world. But now on this world, uh, it's a much bigger ocean than what they had. The water is definitely different, but they already had somewhat of a navy. Although it's the smallest of the three kingdoms of the south, so Paxawal, Arduel. And Thorman. Thorman is the smallest. Um, so they're like, we think something is going on, and we're not able to find any remnants of the ship. No pieces. Nothing that would imply some type of storm. There hasn't been any bad weather in that area. It seems at this point that it's seeming more targeted, which of course makes us think a pirates, which is an issue. You know, who hasn't had to deal with pirates? Um, which is something they've not had to really deal with up to this point, but sure they're out there. And then the second issue is, of course, what if it's not pirates? What if it's something worse? you got your sea dragons, you got water elves, there are other things that live in the sea that could be causing a problem as well. Uh, Sea dragons being the worst case scenario, of course. So, they're going on, if you will, an expedition into that area, several military vessels, or naval vessels, to try to see if they can find some signs of what's going on. The party has been invited to come. And they say that because... They're going... You're going to go a little bit deeper... South into the ocean... Than they normally would have traveled. Deep oceans. Blue water. Okay. I think we've all seen where this was going to go. This shouldn't be a surprise to anybody at this point. But the first image... Clearly, even they thought... This is going to have something to do with water. Maybe it's on a boat. Maybe something... Something powerful is being able to take out their ships and not leave a trace. So what if it's somebody or something that has this water gem you're looking for? If, that, if it's the water gem in general. Who knows? It's blue. Is the blue the water gem? We don't know. Zoltan did not give a chart which what color means what. It's an assumption. Parties like, hey, we'll take it. We've been here for several weeks now. We've had no other leads. Yes, 100%. We're happy to go with you and do this. Darsh especially. Uh, Darsh, again, his Minotaur homeland was a seafaring race. Uh, His family were merchant lords. They had ships. He grew up on ships. So he loves the ocean. That's his thing. He always hoped to have his own fleet of ships one day, be a merchant lord like his his family was. So he's all aboard for that. (laughs) All aboard. Boat humor. Although that's more train humor, but still. Works for me. So, as I said, the party is packed, ready to go. Temple sees that they're doesn't have to give them any food or anything. The ships are well laden. They're leaving the next day. Um, they get a good night's rest. They get what supplies they need, sharpen their weapons, excited, getting ready to go. That evening, they do decide to go out, make sure to grab a couple little things. Dandy wants to go out. And pick up a couple other things. She has now successfully rebuilt her Hoopack. With materials and such, she found a smith who was able to make her um, the metal piece, if you remember, Hoopack. Kender Weapon is a staff sling that is forked at the top with, well, uh, you know, like a uh, slingshot part at the top. More of a staff sling part. The top part unhooks. And there's a metal p- spike normally on the bottom that comes off, and it becomes a blow dart. It's hollow inside. Uh, hers was lost during the Great Battle with um, Firemoon back in the day. She almost had one built till it got broke. Now she's had to make one. She was able to get um, a silver tip on the bottom, which is something that she's wanted for a while, because, I mean, why not? Silver, um, while not being strong as some other metals, does work against certain type of uh, undead lycanthropes and things of that nature better. She understands that, so why not, right? L- luckily, they've got a pretty powerful cleric and Artemis at this point. The group has definitely leveled up since this all started. Um... But it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of extra stuff going on. And she's got some sling bullets of different types. She's got some silver bullets. She's got some steel shot. And then she just has some bags of stones as well for, you know, needed reasons. But she's out and she's going out there and she's going to pick up the, steel, the silver shot that were being made for her. Uh, she found a dwarven smithy um, who is working in the market. And she picks those up and pays a good price for them. the... Nobody wants a kender around your goods... Because a kender will steal your stuff... Not that kender evil... You don't know kender... Kender just steals stuff without realizing it... They're just... They'll find it in their bag... And like... Oh look what I found... They just don't think about it... But they're very very light fingered... At the same time... Majority of kender being very good natured... It doesn't cross their mind to cheat you... Not even one to haggle... You're like... Hey this is... This five... Gold piece bag of... Silver shots worth 100 gold... It's like... Oh what a bargain... I've got 100 gold... So in that regard... They're enjoying that, because she will come off top price for whatever they want, and they make her good stuff, because why not? She's an ally of the temple. Their name's gotten around town a little bit at this point, because you know they're always hanging out with the temple and such, and asking questions, and Templars and such. That That gets around. And so she's picked up her silver shot. She's happy with it. She's excited she gets to go on an adventure tomorrow, because this has been rough for Dandy. Investigating a whole new town was fun and stuff for a while, but... She was starting to get bored, and there's about nothing more dangerous in the world than a bored kender. So she is making her way back to the temple, and as she's walking, she sees a thing over there. She okay, here's some stuff. That store is closing for the day. That place is selling, you know, cheese. There's a pickpocket. Dandy is. She's very observant. There's a pickpocket. Okay, it's a pickpocket. It's not my job. He's doing his thing. There's that person over there. Dandy has seen the signs of the criminal element if you will. Um, She has come known that there is of course a thieves guild in the city. Any city this size is going to have at least one organization of thieves if not several vying for supremacy. Um, She learned very quickly that there was a thieves guild here. She has seen some of the signs. She knows what to look for. Walk by a certain store that has a certain symbol in its name. That's a symbol letting you know that's a safe house for a rogue. She sees this stuff, but she's not been directly um, sought out by any members. In fact, they've given her a wide berth at this point. Understandably so. She's hanging out in the temple. You don't want rogues not wanting to mess with the temple. But she's seen the signs and she's not actively sought them out either. She doesn't have any need to. But on this day, as she's walking across, as she's walking through the people and the folks, she sees the stuff, so on and forth. She sees a gentleman walking towards her with his hood over his, pulled down, walking with his arm closer. She immediately knows this guy is coming at her for a reason. Casually, she's just sitting there looking at whatever she had in her hand to begin with. She's walking with her hoop pack, but her stance changes a little because in a moment she knows she may be attacked in some way. Is this an assassin? Is this something coming to Roger? Whoever it is is clearly coming at her directly in a way that she would know this. He's not hiding it from her, but everyone around wouldn't pick up on this. So whoever it is is being quite obvious to someone with her expertise. So she's like, okay, that's a little blatant to try to assassinate me in the middle of a group. People, it's, it's getting darker, but there's still lots of people in the streets of people. This all goes through her head in just a moment of time because the person is coming closer. And as, you know... They're working their way through the people and such... She sees his hand come out in a certain... Certain bend... Facing away from her... She instinctively takes her hand back out... And as their hands cross... She feels the paper slide into her hand. His grip was clearly not going to be an attack... It was meant to show an empty... To to release something. She takes it... And continues walking. Doesn't... Look back doesn't open the paper, just keeps on going. Somebody just slipped her something of importance, and she doesn't know why. But they did it in a way that wouldn't draw attention to them, so she doesn't want to draw attention to it now. Dandy is a silly person who gets in trouble and does the silliest of things, but she's not a fool. And when it comes to the things she does know about, she takes them very seriously. She starts making her way, traveling. She starts taking a different path back to the temple person was being sneaky. Maybe there's somebody watching. That wasn't being as obvious. So she's very careful to try to lose people in the crowd, but she gets back to the temple before she even opens it up. And when she looks at it, it's clearly not in a common tongue. It's written in a hodgepodge of different thiev'e cants and symbols, and it takes Dandy a few minutes to figure it all out, because there's no key specifically, but she knows enough of it to be able to get the majority of it. And all it says is we will need to speak soon and it's signed one eye. Now, literally, the number one and the symbol of an eye. She's not heard the name or anyone of that nature in everything they've asked about. But Clearly, it's something important. Who is this one eye? Why does he want to meet her soon? Why did he feel he needs to talk to let her know they're going to talk soon instead of just saying hey, I need to talk now? doesn't know. But she immediately says, "I'm going to tell my friends about this." So she goes to them and tells them and explains it. They talk about it. they say, "Okay, we're going to have to speak to Sister Mara because we don't know what's going on here, and they've been nothing but nice and helpful. We need to at least let them know what's going on. So they send one of the Templars to Sister Mara. Sister Mara comes and meets with them again, and they explain what happened with Dandy. Sister Mara says, "Oh, I know who One eye is very, very well. One eye is the leader or the head of the thieves guild here. In And has been for many years, since well before the merge. Um, Do I know what he looks like? No. I know he goes by the name One Eye. don't even know if he has one eye. That'd be funny if he didn't, if he had two eyes and just called himself One Eye. But he has been the head of the Underground, and more times than I can say have the military and army forces and local police, whatever, done their best to try to suss him out. They have made attempts to uh, break up the thieves' guild. They're never successful. Sometimes they'll find a storehouse. Uh, sometimes they'll bust up, catch a bunch, so on and so forth. But they've never been able to get any clear information on One Eye, other than the fact that he's out there and he runs the place. Um, and while he is definitely a criminal element, he has at least some kind of a honorable code about him. I mean, definitely he runs that. And there's assassinations and there's murders, and they know that he's that. He's definitely. Uh, number one on their list of people they want to catch. Um, But he does keep a very firm stranglehold on the criminal element. Nobody does anything without his say. Uh, So there's the one or two small times another group has tried to form in the city, he squashes that quick. Um, But he is definitely going to be someone of importance. And he has someone of, of great authority. And I say that because he has a big stranglehold on the entire underbelly of what would be Paxable. But she knows of him, but really doesn't know more than that. This is interesting to the group because they're like, okay, he wants to talk to Dandy eventually. But at the same time, this is someone who has connections maybe nobody else does. This could be a source of information that we have yet to tap that could be very helpful in the stuff we're looking for. And maybe even just finding our missing friends, because that's something they're constantly looking for as well. Words of any of their missing friends. At the same time, they also realize that whatever does happen in that regard, that type of information is not going to come free. So that in itself is a concern. Knowing at this point there's not much else they can do about it, there's no other direct information of when they're going to meet, or I need to meet you now, or anything of that nature. They're like, hey, tomorrow we're heading out in the boat. We need to get some sleep. We need to move forward as normal. We will figure that out later. They rest for the evening. Next day, bright and early, a little foggy. They're on the boat. It's actually three ships that are going to be going out, and they're on the primary ship. They're given their own quarters in the ship. Basic, nice quarters. This is a military ship, so it's not got fancy quarters or nothing, but they're given their own space. Um, uh, Darsh is given his room, and the three ladies are going to bunk together. Um, uh, there are of course military, navy, all of that in the Paxwall, gender itself doesn't matter I didn't get that not Could you, you tr- my watch um, but no, there are in the navy, male, female whatever, all mixed together there is no gender requirement Paxwall is smart enough to know if you can fight like a badass we need to have you and so they make complete use out of that Especially exciting, governing. There is the head of the merchants guild is female. The head of the mages is, is female. Uh, the cleric, the clerics are two male, one female. But again, in this situation, it, the the gender thing in this city, there's no monarchy, there's no royalty per se. Um, is very democratic and very neutral. Not to be said the same as some of the other cities. Arduel clearly now new king Christopher. It's uh, it's definitely a monarchy that was read through, or through noble blood, so on and so forth. But there are kingdoms of all type on Merge World. The Paxiwal, down the middle, they don't care. Um, if you can fight, you can, then you can join the military. So, the ship itself, everybody bunks out, but these guys, the party themselves, were given two specific rooms. Darsh was given his own, not because he's a dude, but because he's big, and he's really not going to fit in a room with anybody else. Darsh is well over seven feet tall, not counting the horns. He's a big guy. The boat sets sail. Now, Again, there's no specific area that they're, they're, they think things are, but they're going to go to where the ships, at least the, the, were, that have gone missing, were traveling through. You know, because the ocean is so vast and undiscovered at this point, um, the routes that they, the ships have been using to travel back and forth... Because again, remember, imagine if the ocean is along the bottom, right? Here's land, then the ocean. walls on the bottom, right? RDL is over here on the shore... It's a bunch of land in between. Then there's Paxiwal, some land, big old mountain range, and then Thorman over here. All three of these are on that ocean. The ocean just goes really, really far. At this point, from what exploration they've done, they've yet to find the other side. They have no idea how large this thing is. And the water, once you get past the, the, the Minotaur area, which is the furthest south that they've seen, gets a little more chaotic. So it's hard to go traveling down there because even though it's not stormy per se it is definitely... hmm, Sorry, got a message. It's definitely chaotic and it's not very good travel. So the ships have very specific courses they take. Don't hit rocks. Here's where the water's good. Currents. Things they discovered over this period of time. So they have an idea of where the ships should have been traveling. And the few ships that have actually had any type of naval escort been completely unmolested. They're trying to go where the merchant ships have gone. And some of those ships are part of the Merchants' Guild of Paxiwal. Some of them, they're told, are actually thorman ships that are being sent over to trade goods, because both kingdoms have their own ships going back and forth. And some of them are just private vessels, private merchants trying to do their own business between the two kingdoms. So they're trying to go along that route. And they travel it effectively for literally a good week, week and a half, till they get to the area that would be very close, considered thorman waters. Nothing's gone missing in there. They're like, okay, so nothing's happened here. There's been no signs of missing ships. They've passed a couple ships going one way or the other at different times. No, they're stopping talking to the ships. Nothing's happened with them. So they're like, okay, we need to go further then. We're going to try to go south. And their concept is to just kind of crisscross back and forth for 30 days, going a little bit further out each time, trying to widening that arc. But again, as I've mentioned before, if you're new to this, on Merge World, the stars don't move. That's an important piece of information that the party found out very early. In this new world, while the sun crosses east to west like normal, the stars themselves don't move. So it has completely changed the way navigation works. And, they've, and it's all the stars and constellations and such that are up there are completely different than what anybody has seen before. So they've had to completely relearn how to navigate on the ocean. It's hard enough on land, but on the ocean is way worse, which is one reason they haven't gone really far into the ocean is the fear of not being able to find their way back. They're having to relearn navigation from scratch. Of course, they got a lot of smart people working on it. they got the mages. In fact, on this ship, they meet a smage. I call them smages because it's fun, but it's actually a uh, a sea mage. It's a mage specifically that... um, It's magic-based around sea. you find them on boats and ships. You'll find them in the Navy uh, at different times. Um, But they have a lot of spells that are very beneficial for living on the ocean. Some of them, you may find a sea mage has their own ship. Spells like being able to make the ship wind, battle, things of nature on the ocean, weather control. They are very, very uh, great to have, and any ship that can hire a sea mage will do so. Um, Every Navy ship of Paxwall has at least one that is represented by the mages themselves. Part of the, that's the mages put them there. The navy doesn't pay them. They're technically answer to the ranks of the navy, but overall they still answer to the mage tower. So there is a sea mage on here, and he's using his magic to see if, you know, as they're going through areas, searching for ships and such. And the water gets deep quick, so it's hard. You can't really see it on the bottom kind of thing, but they're not finding any wreckages or anything, at least through the magical um, spells and such that the sea mage has. The sea mage being S-mage, S-mage, dash just became smage. So sometimes you're going to hear me refer to a smage. That's just a mage of the water. Uh, you'll find them on the boat or living near the water of some time. So. They've been out for about three weeks. Three, three and a half weeks. Somewhere in there. You know, time flies when you're bored out of your mind. When the party, eating dinner, it's dark outside. They're actually eating with the... Um, captain of the ship at this point. They do that regularly. The captain, they talk about what's going on today. It's usually the captain, a couple of his important people. Very rarely the first mate. The captain's on deck. The first mate's out there. But usually just having a conversation. Here's what we found so far. Nothing. What should we do next? Making plans and so on. It is during this meal where they're talking and chatting and they keep smacking Dandy's hand because she keeps accidentally trying to steal the silverware and then Mercy and Artemis keep giving Darsh bad looks because he's just not paying attention to eating food and stuff tripping off of his chin hairs because Darsh loves a good meal. And he always eats way more than anybody else and more than anybody should. And they're always trying to remind him, hey, don't eat all the food. Leave some for other people. But when Lars gets going with a tasty meal, it's hard for him to to, to pay attention. So he's munching along. Uh, When the door knocks open, Captain says in first mate comes in and says, Sir, we have sighted land in the distance. This is big news. There were They did not know of any islands in this area. Granted, they're traveling through waters they don't normally go through. He's like, how big is the land? He said, it's a fair-sized island, Captain. It's fairly large. It's something that, coming through these waters, we would have seen before. But they haven't. According to their charts, which they immediately start checking... Navigator comes in. They're looking at that as well. Did we somehow get off course? Are we where we're supposed to be? They determine. Takes a little bit of time, but based on these star charts and the stuff and the new forms of navigation, no. They're where they're supposed to be. There's just an island there that wasn't there before. Captain immediately calls for all stop. All three ships slow down, bring in the sails. It's dark out. He says, we're going to basically stay where we are in sight of that, and we're going to watch it. Because, A, if that's a moving island, we need to know that. B, I don't want to come rolling up on that at night in case that's not just land. There could be something else there, you know? It's a whole new world. Who knows what type of creatures are up there? The party is very excited. They try to get some rest that night. But they. it is determined by the captain that they are not going to move forward unless, A, the island does something strange, like move Or they hear weird noises. There's no light that they can see on it. There's no fire, nothing that shows the distance that they're at. They're not really seeing anything. Sea Mage throws some magic spells out. Nothing coming back is unusual, but he says, yes, from everything I'm seeing, it's not an illusion. There is literally an island out there. Um, And it doesn't... I mean, he can sense living, you know, trees. You can see the trees in the distance. But he doesn't sense, like, it's alive. You know what I mean? He's not sensing a large living force. Although his spells are... Thank you very much, uh, Matthias Rosa Nogero Bub. Wow, that's a cool name. Thank you very much for the follow. I appreciate that. Thank you for joining on the channel with us. Um, so the island has life, but the island itself does not appear alive. His spells really aren't meant for that, but the best he can determine. So they wait till next morning light. Next morning light comes up. It's very foggy. It takes a while for the fog to clear, which happens. Nothing unusual about that. But when it does clear... The island itself is a very large island. The island is not mountainous, if you will. And you could sail around it within an hour. It's a good size. Um, But it clearly looks like an island that's been there. It's not like a new... It doesn't look floating. It clearly appears to go down into the ocean. It does not look like the back of any type of creature, which is something that the... During this play, that's the first thing they asked. Is it on the back of a giant turtle or a dragon or something? It was not. It looks like it's regular rock. But... According to their charts and their previous exploration, there was never an island here before. So we found an issue. So. At that point, what happens is they're like, okay, we need to get in there a little bit closer. Two of the ships are going to kind of hang back. The primary ship is going to move forward. And I keep getting all these notifications here. I will fix that in a minute. So. Um, the main ship is going to go in. It's the best armed. It's got the most amount of mill. Soldiers, military, navy, whatever you want to call them, on the ship. It's also got the party, and it's also each ship has a sea mage, but their most powerful sea mage is on this ship. So they decide they're going to go in, not get super close, but they're going to try to go around the island to see what they can see. They do that, they get traveling, and they make it all the way around the island. Like I said, in about an hour or so, they're not really hoofing it fast. They're trying to get a look. There's no signs of any type of civilization on the island. It's very lush. There's clearly trees there. You know, it's just like a regular island. There's sand leading up to it, then it goes up, and then it's just a very thick trees. Some animals, normal animals you'd see on an island, you know, birds and so on, You know, a boar, whatever, you see them running around, so it's very clearly a normal-looking island for all intents and purposes. No signs of structures, no signs of anything humanoid, no boats, no old trees, no fire pits, nothing that they can see, at least on the shore. It's not a mountainous island by any means, but it does have, it is very hilly in the center. Again, you can picture, it's a good size. I mean, you could cross it very much, so, but it's very hilly, but it's not like a jagged peak. But it is lush and it's not like a perfect dome. It's, you know, natural looking. It's not funky by any means. So it's determined okay, well, do we send, do we go ashore? Uh, the captain determines that they should. This is clearly outside of the ordinary. This is the first chance, a first anything they've come across of this nature, and he can't just leave a new island there without explaining anything. But again, it's discussed. Could this be part of the merge? Could other parts of worlds and land still be popping in? They haven't seen any signs of that. No one's heard of new lands since the merge just popping in. But the merge is an unnatural event of high magics. Who knows if there's aftershocks? or things are changing. So that's something that they feel it's important to check as well. The only concern they have is if this island did just appear, will this island just disappear, and if we're on it, are we in trouble? So the captain determines that he's not going to send a large force. He's going to send, uh, basically, two groups of ten. The party, of course, immediately says, we want to go as well. A, we've been cooped up on the ship for several weeks now, and we're bored with it, but B, this is the first thing that's come out, and we want to go out there and investigate, because this isn't normal either. And Dandy, of course, is ecstatic with a possible magic island. She said there could be magic trees. She might find a magic pineapple. Who knows what you could do with a magic pineapple? Darsh assures her there's probably not magic pineapples, which immediately makes Dandy wonder if Darsh is trying to hog all the magic pineapples for himself and will definitely be watching what he has on his plate for dinner tonight. Magic pineapples. But they go ashore. By this point, it's about midday, uh, noonish, if you will. Took a while for the fog to clear. They booked around for an hour. Now they're ready to go on to the island. So the first mate is leading one of the groups. Second mate is on there. The captain's staying with the ship. They felt that's the best thing to do in this situation. So hold on one second here. Whew, everything's getting notifications like crazy. my watch watching on my phone. I apologize. The world's got busy all of a sudden. So they are making their way. They, they're parked off a while. You know, they've dropped anchor. The other two ships, they've signaled to them. The ships have moved in a bit closer, but they're staying spaced apart in case anything does happen. You know, Dragon flies out of the trees and starts shooting fire. They don't want to all be sitting next to each other. So they're within sight of each other, but they're spacing themselves out a little bit. So they're going Darsh, Mercy, Artemis, Dandy, all on the ship. The Sea Mage is going with them with the groups uh, on this ship. The other two sea mages are staying there, but really, the only mage they have at this point other than the other two sea mages, he's going to go as their magical assistant. So they hop on some of the, on a couple of boats. It's basically four boats, you know, because Darsh is big and almost fills one. And they they make their way to the shore, pull the boats up. There's no issues getting on shore. Okay, Nothing weird happens. Nothing magical. It's just like pulling up on a regular, mysterious new island that popped up out of nowhere. They decide that the first thing they do is going to just kind of search around the area on the shore. They couldn't see anything from the boats, but maybe now that they're up close they can find footprints, something. So the groups don't want to split up completely. Um, so our friends, our group of party, hooks up with the first mate and his group of ten. And the second mate and his group of ten, so eleven total, are going one way, they're going the other. So Darshan party, they're all going to stay together. As they're passing along... They're looking. They're not seeing anything normal. Now, of course they warn Dandy, don't go close to the trees. We don't know what's in there. So immediately, the first chance that she gets, Dandy's right up on the trees. Never tell a Kendra not to do something. Darsh, frustrated, just trying to keep an eye on her, but they're all, you know, looking, mage casting spells. Everybody got their weapons ready, just in case. And Dandy's just kind of bumbling along the trees, looking in. She's not going in. She's keeping an eye on her friends, because... She's excited, but she's also worried about her friends. Want to make sure they're okay. And if you'll remember, we talked about a couple episodes ago that Dandy uh, really starting to be, grow a concern for her friends, more so than the average Kendra could. That fear of other, for her others has become very, very big to her. Um, especially since she's already lost Michael and the rest and their friends, uh, Shadow and Willow and Zarin and Fig. Since they've gone gone, She's worried about her friend. She doesn't want to lose any more. So she, normal instincts to go dashing into the trees to see if she can find the magic pineapples. She says, no, I'm going to stay close where I can keep an eye on my friends, but close enough to the trees that if I can find a magic pineapple, I can hide it in my bag before Darsh eats it. Because who knows what happens to a mentor when he eats a magic pineapple, he could smell funny forever, and she's just not willing to take that chance. She cares about him too much. It's about... 20-30 20-30 minutes into searching when it's Dandy who actually finds something. She calls to the others. They look, she's waving frantically. Darshan friends, and followed by everybody else, comes rushing up. They're spread out, you know, kind of combing the beach. Uh, but they come rushing over quickly, make sure she's okay, but clearly she's not got her weapon out. In the trees, she found a broken crate. A wooden crate just cracked in half. Whatever was in it is gone. First mate looking at it says, This is clearly a crate that came from Thorman. It has the symbols of it on it. This is something that either one of our ships picked up from Thorman or a Thorman ship was traveling with. This is a Thorman crate. So somebody's been on this island at some point. This is their first real big clue. With it being just a little ways into the trees, like I said, she noticed it. It's about five or six feet in, looking into the trees. It wasn't visible from the outside. They determined, okay, well, now we're going to need to look in a little bit further. Now, using mirrors and reflective lights, they have a way, and you can do smoke signals. There's different ways they have it. But the Seamage himself, using a magic mirror and such, is able to get a message back to the captain saying that they have found something. They are going to start looking inland. The captain gives permission. They decide to do that. Now, they don't want to spread too far out, but going inland, it's much bigger. Um, Against their their preference, Darsh clearly says, Dandy and I are going first. A, Dandy's going to see if there's any type of traps in here. We don't need you or any of our allies or us dropping into any type of trap. These trees are relatively thick. B, I'm large, and they give him basically a scimitar, and he's just chopping through stuff way better than any of them could. He's incredibly strong. And he's just clean-cutting through trees that they would just have to go go around. Um, I'm not talking trees, but you know I'm talking about bamboo and things. He's going through very easily, and it's making it much easier for those following them. Um, Artemis, though, and Mercy are going to stay centrally with the group. A, because Artemis being a cleric, everybody here very, very, very in love with the temple. Um, Paxwell is very religious-oriented. All religions the, all of the different gods are honored, even the dark gods. They're respected. They may not be worshipped, but they're respected. But clerics are important business, just like the mage. The mage and the cleric are kept in the middle, and they are kept protected. And, of course, Mercy does not go far from Artemis if she does not have to. So as they're traveling through, Dar's just chopping away and such. Occasionally, they're coming across more things. Some busted pile of rope. You know, where the rope clearly has just been ripped. And that's an important clue. They find pieces of rope that literally look like they were ripped. Not cut, but torn. And I mean, you know, like a boat, two boats pulling, pops it. I'm not saying He-Man ripped it or nothing, but something of that nature. It's been frayed from strain. They find more broken crates, as well as some actual goods. Um, they may f- come across some broken pot- potteries, dishes, things of that nature. Um, they come across some bolts of cloth that are just left in the dirt. Things that could have a value, but wouldn't really be considered treasure by any sense. Now, even pirates will take things like cloth and such, silk and things. That's a value. That's something they can sell or, or you know make use of themselves. So some of the things that are discarded would have a value to a person, but nothing that would be considered treasure. And this is something that they come across as they're looking. Um, I know I've been bumbling here for an hour, so I'm going to take just a quick look. Does anybody have any questions about anything that I've covered so far? I know I've been rambling straight for a little over an hour now. Before I continue, did anybody have any questions about anything? Even if it's something, maybe you're new here you'd like a little more clarification about a character or something, please feel free to throw any questions you have in the chat at any time. I am monitoring the chat while I'm telling this story, and I will do my best to answer any questions you have in real time. So please feel free to throw questions out. It's one reason why I stream these stories, is so that if people have questions about things, I can go into detail. If you're a D&D player, you'd like to know some of the specifics of the D&D side of some of the things I'm talking about. What skills they use, what specs, so on and so forth. Always feel free to throw that in here, or if you're watching this later... Throw it in the comments, and I'll answer it as quickly as I can. You can also come to the ODG Discord. It's open, everybody. There's a thread in there specifically for that. Um, Or you can go to OnlyDraven.com. There's a place to submit feedback and questions there. So if you're listening to this on iTunes later, please feel free to hit me up with any questions you may have. I'm always looking to give more information on this. So a little sidebar commercial there. So they're making their way in. And they... Start going upwards. Like I said, it's hilly. It's not mountainous. It's hilly. They see some signs of animal life. Here's some monkeys squawking. parrot squawking. See a boar running through the woods. And Darsh at one point thinking, if we don't find anything else here, I am definitely bringing some bacon back to the ship because we haven't had any bacon in a while. And Dandy always giving him dirty looks when he's looking at the bacon while at the same time assuming he thinks how good bacon would be with the side of magic pineapple. So she's on the lookout. This was important back in the day. (laughs) It was important to Dandy. If there was a magic pineapple, she was the one who found it. At this point, though, sadly, no magic pineapple. As they're traveling through the woods, after, you know, they stop and take a rest every so often, Darsh is doing all the work, but for him it's actually not that bad. If anything, they're having to give him a new machete every so often because it's not really meant to chop through the stuff he is. So he's definitely wearing down some of their uh, bush-beating blades here, um, but they have to admit straight up, with Darsh up front, they are making some serious headway. So, they get going again, they're traveling, they finally come to I guess you'd call it a lagoon. It's a small pond in the center, it's your classic little bit of hill, little bit of waterfall, water coming from up the hill a little bit further. Where's the water source coming from? Don't really know. Neon asks, will there be a magic pineapple later? That's a very good question. Magical fruit. <coughs> Excuse me. Does it exist on Merge World? There's magical everything if you play your cards right. Will we see a magical pineapple? You'll just have to wait and see. But do they exist in some form or another? I'd say it's very likely that a magical pineapple does exist somewhere on Merged World. To continue. They find this lagoon. The lagoon in itself, relatively deep. They see the water. It's very still. Seems sandy. But the middle of it seems to have like a hole. It's a deep hole. You know, there doesn't really seem to be much of a current. Darsh, first one to get in the water, because if there is a current, he's the least to be affected. So he gets in the water, doesn't feel much of a current. The water is very clear. It's tested by the Sea Mage. Perfectly fine for drinking. They fill up their water skins, get a drink. They decide to rest while they look around here. Um, Some of the people were going to investigate the lagoon. So, of course, as always, you look behind the waterfall... But there was nothing behind the waterfall. I'm so sorry for crushing your dreams. But it's a rather regular waterfall with rock behind it. They find no scenes there. But as they are searching the water, they do find in the lagoon some more, I guess you would say, wreckage. Now, I want to stress that at no point do they find a part of a ship. The rope would be the closest. But at no point do they find any wood or pieces that would say this was a boat at some point. That just doesn't exist. They're finding purely things that would have been on a ship, like crates or like big ceramic jugs that maybe had some type of perfume or liquid in it, milk, whatever. Um, They're finding those busted, and they find several of those things mixed in with the sand in the bottom of this lake, their pond, if you will. And if you were to ask the size of it, it's probably about 30 feet 40 feet, 30, 40 feet across. It's not huge, but it's got a little bit of size to it. But in the center, literally at the bottom, if you imagine kind of like a funnel, it's very smooth, and then it just seems to be like a hole in the middle, but there's no pull. No water is pulling them in. Sea Mage casts some spells. No magic detected anywhere in the lagoon. First Mate says, okay, well, I don't see much going on here. I think that we should keep going on. The group, our friends, are like, we think there's something more with the lagoon. I think we should inspect here. The first mate's like, well, we we really, captain's orders were to cover as much of the ground as possible. And while we found some stuff here, a hole in the lake, we've done a search, our sea mage hasn't found anything. We're going to carry on. But if you wish to stay here and keep looking here, that is fine. But I would ask that you not venture far from the lagoon, because it is part of my responsibility to return you safe to the ship as well. You are technically emissaries of the church, and as such, I am to protect you as such. But you're clearly capable, and I I don't control you. If you want to stay here, it's fine, but I would ask you to respect my wishes and stay close to the lagoon. Do not stray far. We will come back by this way within the hour to pick you up, and we'll start looking the other direction. The party says, that's perfectly fine. We'll spend an extra hour looking around. To be honest, they don't mind taking a bit of a break. So they're okay with that. And they start pulling stuff out of the water, the little broken pieces of stuff, trying to search it. So the the sea mage, the first mate, and their ten homies, they all go off. So those twelve are gone. It's just our four friends now. The sea mage does stay with his charge. They're hanging out here, and they start pulling stuff out, and they're looking at the damaged pieces. Claw marks, bite marks, tool marks. Is there anything that would show how they got broken? And they don't find anything of that nature. It's almost like they were literally just crushed. Because that that's you can they can't tell that. Things were crushed, broken in, but no tool marks of any kind that would show what did it. No, like even a, like a, a big rock or a fist would leave some type of a dent saying, well, here's the central point of damage. There's none of that. It's just crushed. As they're searching. Darsh, being the largest and heaviest, easiest in the water, does move a little bit closer into the water to see if he can get more. He's trying not to get too close to the hole, because there hasn't been a current yet, but Merge Worlds is crazy. Uh, Neon asks pressure. That sounds correct. Almost like an external pressure has caused the things to just break or shatter. That is very correct. That's what they come up with as well. But was it a big hand? Possibly. No so finger marks, but if it was big enough, you know, maybe imagine a giant dragon squeezing a little pot, probably not going to find a claw mark, it's just going to bust it. So that's something we even think of as well. Luckily, the hole is nowhere near big enough for a dragon to be in, it's no more than four to five feet across. Darsh, intelligently, they have some rope with them, ties some rope to a tree, and is hanging onto it as he goes out in the water, because if he does slip or there's a current, he doesn't want to get pulled into a hole and drown. Uh, nobody's a fan of that. So he's going out there and he gets. As closely he can to the edge of the hole. And he's like... And he's, he's talking to the, to the girls who are watching him at this time. He's like... And at this point, the waters up to about his chest. Because it got deep and then kind of got a little bit more shallow near the hole. If you will. If you can follow me on that. The bottom came up just like a little bit, almost like a lip. And then there's the hole. There's no teeth. He's Not jumping into a sarlacc pit or nothing like that. It's just nothing like that. He just sees the hole and he's like, okay. He goes, it's firm here. It looks like sand. But it's firm as stone here. Like I'm, he's, he's stomping his feet on it. He's like, I mean, he's not, there's no fear of him slipping in sand. The sand literally became a hard sandstone the closer he got to this. And so he turns back and he's like, he's looking at them. He's holding on to the rope in one hand. He goes, I don't think that, you know, I don't see anything in it. And he got about halfway through that sentence. I don't see it. And at that time, water explodes from behind him. Which shocks the girls, of course, because they just see this big spout of water come out. Much like you'd expect from a geyser, if you will. And it comes out, but it doesn't shower out, as you would imagine a geyser would. The water comes out, and then the wind takes it, and it falls down. The water comes up, and then comes back down, almost solid striking Darsh, and suddenly Darsh is gone. The girls are very concerned. Upset. They start screaming to Darsh, but the water itself, what sand has been in the water, has been churned up, so the water is no longer clear. But the water itself, while still, it's not continuously spraying, it was just one up, almost like, a, imagine if you would a big spaghetti noodle coming out, and then landing on him, and then the water... You know, floating and such, and some water overflows and such. But the sand that was in there is kind of churned it up so it's very milky. Is he laying on the bottom? They don't know. The rope is just floating on top. Darsh is not holding onto the rope any longer. He didn't tie it around himself. Darsh is a strong guy. He wouldn't need to. If he did get pulled, he could just hang onto it. But it wasn't tied to him. And currently it's not tied to him as well. Dandy starts to run into the water, but Mercy grabs her and she's like, listen, you, you we all can swim, but that's that's not good. You're the littlest. You'll be swinging the most if that comes back out. Like, well, we have to do something. They decide they're going to try to get out there as quickly as they can. Now imagine, they're concerned about Darsh. He could be sitting in that water knocked unconscious, drowning. He's a heavy guy. He might not float. They've never seen him unconscious in the water. None of them had to deal with an unconscious minotaur in the water. He could be sinking there. So it's determined they have to get out there as quickly as they can. They pull in the rope and they tie themselves to it now imagine that. Tie myself to it, and I hand the next part down, tie, leaving a space in there. And all three of them start working their way out. Artemis is the closest to the shore. Dandy is in the middle. And Mercy is the one near the end. It's basically tied to the end of the rope. She's physically the strongest. And While that would normally be a position that she would stay close to the shore to pull everyone out if there's an issue, she also knows she's the only one with any hope of potentially lifting out of the water. He is, hes you know, he's still got his armor and stuff on. He had not disarmored because, you know, they don't know what's going on there. he weighs well over 350 pounds normally. They've all got their armor on. She's the only one with any hope of potentially getting his head above water if he is unconscious enough to try to drag him back out. If she can at least get his head above water, then at that point, maybe the others would be able to help. Artemis, unfortunately, doesn't have any spells that are really going to help them in this situation. They make their way out into the water, and it's, they're getting close. She has her morning star out. And she uses a morning star, and she's got. She's holding it close up by the, you'd call the spiky or the blunt end, and she's kind of poking down with it because she doesn't want to hit Darsh in the head with the morning star. So he's just. She's just poking lightly because this the silt and the, and the sand is still murking in the water, although it's starting to settle a little. Them busting through in a hurry didn't help, but she's trying to poke. Trying to find him because remember it was up to his chest. That's. Mercy, Artemis, and Dandy are all short. Dandy's super short. She's even in the water. She's treading water at this point. Artemis is almost up to her chin. Mercy is literally swimming, trying to poke down. And you can imagine trying to swim in armor. Luckily, she's not wearing any super heavy armor, but she's getting tired quickly. She's not going to be able to do this for long. And she starts going down in the water, feeling what she can, kicking back up, coming up for breath, doing that. This goes on for a minute or two, and they're all starting to get worried they're not going to find him. Mercy comes back up, and she turns to yell, and she hears a roar of water from all around her, and suddenly she's completely submerged again. This time, the entire lagoon has risen as almost like a solid cylinder of water. Pulling so hard, the rope snaps from the tree. And all of them find themselves almost in a tornado of water, Spinning did not have a lot of chance to gasp for breath there. Basically, all they're doing is trying to hold onto the rope because they know the others are tied to it somewhere. And they don't know if they're up or down, if they're swimming, they just feel themselves being hurled around. And then they feel buffered, like they're hit being hit against something. Which, in fact, they are. Because they're being pulled down that central hole. The water... Eventually, the hole, I should say, ends. And they feel themselves no longer buffered out into... You know, they could stretch out again, if you will. Because they're ropes trying to get to each other. They can't see anything. They're underwater. And they feel themselves almost like... Imagine if you dump a bucket of water with a fish in it. Down the water, the water's going to splay out. And the fish may go a little distance before he starts flopping. Sad thing. I don't think you should be cruel to fish. I'm just saying. Same situation here. They feel themselves as if they're being dumped out. And coughing and gasping, they find themselves in air once again. Coughing for breath because they weren't expecting that. they got water in their nose. If you've ever had that happen, that never feels good. They're coughing and they're gasping. But they're no longer underwater. And hello, Always Biggie. Thank you very much for coming by the stream today. Appreciate you hanging out. They get up. Now, as we know... They have Improvision, and Mercy has her cool little headpiece she's still wearing that lets her see in the dark. She wears it almost all the time unless she's trying to sleep, because then it's like trying to sleep in the middle of the daytime. But she wears it most of the time with her. It's not overly ornate, so it doesn't look like a shiny tiara. So a lot of times she can even wear it under her helm or even within her hair so you just see a little bit of it. She doesn't try to draw attention to it. Um, But she does wear it most of the time. So a lot of times her hair just usually gets to her shoulders. She doesn't keep it very long, but she will kind of braid it in and under her hair to try to keep it that way. Um, Artemis has long hair. Dandy has long hair. She has a top knot. So, coughing and gasping, they can see the room that they're in. And it's a round chamber. And they can see the silhouette of Darsh lying on the ground a short distance. Well, they see a silhouette. To Mercy, it's like a perfectly clear day. She sees him over there unconscious. But he's not drowning, but maybe he's drowned. So they all very quickly get up. They're still tied together, but they, they decide not to untie themselves, because who knows what's happening, but they do make their way over to Darsh quickly. Artemis checks him. He's unconscious. There's, a, there's clearly some swelling on the side of his face. He probably hit Him being as large as he is, coming down that hole, probably hit something pretty hard, knocked him unconscious. But he is breathing. Artemis uses some healings magic to get him up. A moment or so later, he's conscious. While she's doing that, Mercy and Dandy are looking around this place. And they're a little surprised by what they find. There's obviously some little puddles in the bottom of this room. But the top of the room, which is kind of just barely domed shape, has that hole again. And they can see water in the hole, but it's stopping. Right at the edge of the hole. Gravity is not causing the water to fall down into this chamber, which it should. It's just sitting there. So, was this a natural phenomenon? Again, they were coming down the tunnel. There could have been other holes spouting water in or out. They couldn't see any of that, so they don't know what was in the tunnel. they looking up it, which Dandy is cautious to do while Marcy's heading onto the rope. She goes over and she's looking up. All they see is water. But it's clearly a good distance because you can only see almost like the very specklist of light in the distance looking up. Darsh comes around, they get back together. Like, what happened? He goes, I don't know. Water hit me. I got gooshed. And then suddenly you are waking me up. They explain what they saw and what happened. They go ahead and take the ropes off at this point. They look around, all their stuff, you know, weapons and stuff came out of their hands, things slid out of scabbards. It's all laying on the ground. They just fell down with them. They gather up everything. They don't find anything. Um, they have some torches in their packs, but at this point they're really wet, so lighting them is not going to do a real, real good job. They don't find any footprints. They don't find anything that would be natural. I'm sorry, like uh, unnatural, I should say. Everything looks like a natural, natural cave, although it's relatively smooth. It looks like it's been sanded by flowing water, although there is one entrance leading out of this searching for their stuff in the bottom. It's there's sand here, wet sand of course, and some of their stuff's slightly mucked in there. As they're digging, they pull out more pieces of broken stuff that's not theirs. They're digging through that and they find all of their gear. Sadly, no magic pineapples though. But you know, the search is still on. Dandy has not given up. So, not knowing what else to do, they can't go back up through the water hole. They have to hope that wherever this one tunnel leads, is going to eventually lead them back out, or, you know, something. The noise of the water and the splashing up, they're hoping, drew the attention of the Sea Mage and uh, the First Mate and his team, but it had been a little while, they don't know how close they were, they don't know where they were at the time, so they could be up there even looking for them, and they're like, we need to find a way as quickly as possible before they start looking around the lagoon and get sucked down here as well, because that... Is that a geyser that happens every so often and we just happen to be there at the time? We don't know. So they start making their way through. They travel through the tunnel for a short distance. For a ways. And as they're going, they're coming across more junk. And now they're actually finding stuff. Here's a broken wagon wheel. Here's an old chest that's been busted open. Nothing of value left in it. Just tossed to its side. Some of the stuff looks a little water-beaten, but nothing looks old-old, like it's been here a hundred years. It all looks relatively new, just broken with some water damage. They're starting to believe this is not natural, obviously. At this point, they're fully armed, got their weapons out. Dandy's out front, searching for traps. Does not come across any party order as normal is Dandy, Darsh, Artemis with Mercy in the back, watching me behind and keeping Artemis the squishiest in the middle. At this point, they're like, okay, we can continue with our improvision in special sight, but probably best that we actually have some light. Artemis does have the ability to cast a light spell. She does. Basically, she casts it on her staff, and it works like a torch. So they're like, okay, we're in kind of in the dark here. If we come across something else with Infravision, it may have better Infravision than us. We may be at a disadvantage. So if it's something that's stuck in the dark all the time, we might be a little more advantage having light. and may be afraid of the light. So Artemis still has the light in the center of the party, but Darshan, and Dandy are out front. They continue forward. They travel for, a, oh, I'm saying it's probably a good 10 minutes. And the tunnel twists and turns. But it always stays the same size, the same width. It's roundish, if you will, kind of like a horseshoe. The ground is flat, but it's rounded on the top. It never really gets thinner or thicker. Um, There's definitely little spots of water in the trash that I mentioned that they see. uh, But there's no water pouring out of it. It seems very solid, like something carved. Like, imagine like a worm just tunneled right through the stone. And it's that same kind of sandstone that Darsh found up top. It's, It's like a mixture of sand, but solidified. But it does twist and turn... ...in all sorts of places. They travel on. And they come into... ...another chamber. Now as they approach the chamber... ...they go very slowly. Because now, okay, this is bigger... ...and they see things reflecting with the light. Dandy goes first. She goes a little bit ahead. Party never likes having to send Dandy ahead... ...but they know where her skills lie... And they need to give her the chance to use them. Moving forward, she's looking for traps. Listening very carefully. Everybody's being real quiet. Can she hear any noises? Water dripping? Yes. Nothing sounding like it's moving. She doesn't see anything moving what she can see. And she moves to the edge of the chamber and looks inside. This chamber is just like the previous one, but about twice as large. And there's another opening. If you're walking in 90 degrees to your left... There's another opening on that side carrying on. But this room is full of things. And not just things, but things of value. The rest of the party, after Dandy gives the all-clear, they come in. They're looking around. They find more crates. These ones also usually busted open, but with coins, things of value. Dishes with gems on them. You know, the, the expensive stuff, if you will. Some chests just full of coins. Obviously payments that were meant to be made to one city or the other. Or or just a ship's treasure, if you will. They find large amounts of wealth. And they do find things like expensive cloths, tapestries rolled up. That may be a little wet, but stacked in pile. You know, very as if they're tossed somewhere. But everything here has a value to it. Or is a thing that holds something that has a value to it. You know, jewelry things of that nature. Even expensive spices. Bottles of wine, which is another interesting thing. They'll find a crate, a bottle of wine, where the crate appears busted, but the bottles inside, perfectly intact. No damage done to them all. All laid upon the ground as if very, very gently. Very opposed to that. Where the crate they are in has clearly just been busted, but the bottles gently laid down. Darsh fights all temptation to drink some of the alcohol. Mercy also noticing it looks pretty good, but her and Darsh have been known to have the occasional drinking competition. And for his size and double her stature, she holds a drink to him every time. Mercy can hold a beverage. Dandy is okay. Artemis cannot hold her wine. That's a story for another time. But they go ahead and they get in there and they're looking through the stuff. Careful not to disturb anything. Because Dandy says, hey, some of this stuff could be trapped. It could be magically trapped. That's something she can't really look for. Artemis decides to use some of her magic to see if she can find anything magical. And she does find a couple specks of magical glow, if you will, from within the, the piles of stuff. She doesn't touch anything. Nothing vastly glowing or anything like that. But enough to let her know there are some items of at least minor magic mixed within this treasure. It's about that time that from the other tunnel, the one that they had not come from, leading out, they hear a roaring noise. Now, it could be thunder, or it could be waves crashing. It doesn't sound like a creature, but they hear roaring. It goes on for a few seconds and then stops. A minute or so later, it does it again, and then stops. Then it doesn't happen again. They begin to say, should we continue on? They begin to discuss it when they feel everything shudder. Much like an earthquake, but just the minorest of one for just a moment. This is a concern. Did something happen in the water sploosh and get all of their friends at the lagoon? They don't remember an earth shaking when that happened, but they were also in the water, so maybe they didn't feel it. Dandy says, oh damn, what if the island's moving? Because she did think of that. And everybody's like, oh, what if it's sinking? What if What if we're stuck in here? This causes them great concern. They decide they need to hurry. Clearly going back the way they came from didn't help, but heading out the way they are going... Um, is their only option. So they start going down the tunnel, again being cautious, but at a quicker pace than they were before because now they have other concerns. If this island does move or sink or something, are all these tunnels just going to fill with water? It's damp enough that it was all wet once. They could end up just drowning underground, and that is a fate none of them want to experience. Even though they've all died once, they don't want to do that again. I will mention that they don't remember much of their time from being dead. That is a side effect of being risen. They have just brief images and flashes, but they don't remember much of the time when they were not alive. Um, I did have someone ask about that, and I forgot to answer it, so I apologize. That is something that they don't have memory of. They start making their way down this tunnel. And as they're bumbling along through there, they're going quickly but cautiously, which is the slogan of this party. Every time we do anything, they always say they do it quickly but cautiously. Like, we're going fast, but we're being careful not to set off traps. That's what they're trying to tell me. It doesn't help them when I want them to set off a trap. But they they're make their way through. And as they're going down this tunnel, this one is going straight. And only goes for about 50 or 60 feet. But as they're getting closer, they can, they can see light coming from that room. So they slow down. Sorry, I keep rubbing my nose. I have a mustache hair that's just tickling me to death. Oh, Alright, so, so quickly but cautiously they slow down, still staying cautiously make their way to the edge of the chamber and chamber is what they find. This chamber is about the size of the last one they're in with all the treasure and they can see more things around the edges but in this chamber they see something a little bit different in this, what appears to be just past the center of the room Imagine a giant egg of water, um, that size and shape, just floating in the middle of the air. In fact, if one was to look at it, it would look very much like one of the stones, except way larger, large enough that Darsh could float inside of that. He may stick out, his horns may stick out the edge a little bit, but it's it's at least seven feet bottom to top, a little bit thinner, of course, because it's egg-shaped. But it's just sitting there, looking almost like it's slowly moving, like a solid drop of water, a deep blue. They don't have to cast spells to know that's magical. That's not normal anywhere. But there's nowhere else to go can't see much past it. The room has light so much so that the walls themselves appear to have a bit of a glow to them. Just enough that the room is lit enough that you can see but not comfortable. Just, if you've ever had that where a room is just bright enough to see a little bit but not bright enough that it's annoying. Like I couldn't read something but I can see. But the the big water egg itself is producing a bluish hue from it a certain diameter which also causes that section to light up a bit more. They proceed to walk in. Because, I mean, what else are they going to do? Very carefully, they move inside. They don't try to go towards the water egg. Instead, they just try to go in a little bit... while keeping an eye on it. Dandy's doing a check around the stuff... to see if they can find anything. Looking around, they see... that just past the egg... the floor is actually water. Now, they can't see how deep it is. It could be just an inch deep. It could be very deep. But just past the egg... the back part of the room... has a set of water, and it is almost glass-like in stillness. Oh. uh, Got a comment here. Neon. The water of life. A stone to be born in the egg of the ocean. (laughs) That's very prophetic, sir. I like that. Prophecy is important to Merge World. and only gets more and more so as we move on. I'm very looking forward to start throwing out some of the prophecies. But, uh, Yeah, so as they're moving in, they're like, okay, well, they don't find anything there. We have to move a bit closer. They take but a few steps before the egg spins a little bit faster. They halt. The egg goes a little bit faster and then falls. Slowly. Now, I'm not saying drop, but it slowly falls, and as it hits the ground, the water continues to spin but now it's taking on the form of, imagine two tendrils, just going opposite directions around, crisscrossing each other, going up and down. But the egg shape disappears, and the tendrils fast begin to slow down, and as they do, what they find in its center is a figure of humanoid size, though the figure itself is covered in a sheen of water imagine, if you will, a person standing there with three to four inches of water all around them. Just around their body. The person does not appear struggling. In fact, the person, as it it seems to be standing and then takes a step towards them. They draw their weapons. It takes but a few steps and stops, and the water parts from the head. And what they see is a, a human-looking face. Uh, if I was to give an example, imagine something along the Venom symbiote from Marvel coming off of Eddie Brock's face. Right? Uh, what were these stones called again? The Vishtani Stones. Yes, the Vishtani Stones. That's correct. And there are not six of them. There are more. I, I want to say it's nine Seven or nine. I'm sorry, I'd have to look that up again. I'm pretty sure it's nine. Sorry. Um, it's definitely more than six, I can tell you that. So I, have to, I don't have my list with me, it's in the other room. But um, they go ahead and, 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 and the thing parts, much like a Venom symbiote does in the Marvel thing, where now you can see its face, but the water is all around it. The face inside the skin is blue. But it appears human. It does not appear to be any water elf or any other race. It looks human, although the skin has a very bluish tint to it, almost like a corpse. Um, but not looking dead. Just that kind of color to it. And it speaks. Now, as it speaks, I'm going to start, before I say what it says, imagine that as it speaks, as its words come out, water also comes out of it, just pouring out of its mouth while it's talking. Not like gooshing, but you know, just like a thin, almost like you had, you took a m- mouthful of water and then just started to talk and the water is just coming out. Speaks perfectly coherently. The water is not affecting its ability to talk. But the water is just coming out and then as it hits the rest of the water shell around them, just it doesn't pour off into the floor. It just remerges back with that water. figure speaks and says, and who are you to walk on my island? With a a bit of an evilish smile, if you will. But it's not the smile that gets their attention. Nor is it even the words that he speaks. It's the blue gem glistening from his forehead. A gem the exact same size as the green gem that is currently merged with Artemis' staff. We found our next stone. I think we all knew that was coming. Clearly, this is someone who's merged with the water stone. Now, if you remember the warnings that Zoltan gave us, Merge it to items will give that item power, but merge it to a living being will be even more power. But you risk losing yourself to the stone as the wants and wills of the stone may overtake your own. I kind of rhymed. I should have written that down. Remind me to write that down later. Um, This is clearly someone with some abilities and someone who can clearly control water. All the things they've seen would definitely explain that. Mercy begins to reply, we're seeking the reason behind the missing ships of the kingdoms of Paxwell and Thorman, and we're also seeking a group of stones. The figure smiles and he goes, yes, yes. I assumed you were coming from my stone. You have recorded it, silly. <laughs> Thank you, M.T. Yeah, that is correct. I guess I did record it <laughs> with this here. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess I could go back and do that later. Um, so, because goes, I thought you were coming from my stone, and I can see that you've got one, too. Artemis, at this point, didn't cross her mind to hide it. She's holding her staff for the green one. He goes, you're wasting its abilities. You're wasting its potential. You have no idea what these things can let you do when they're part of you. As he says that, the water around him just flows faster and the water around his hands come out almost like spiky fingers. Again, very venom-like in this situation. Spiky fingers and then they come back down. You know, back to regular fingers. And so imagine, he's a guy, but his body is physically larger because of the water shell around it. He goes, as for the ships, if you're in the water, you belong to me now. The oceans are mine to control. I am the water lord. Aquatius himself has blessed me with these powers. I've worshipped him all my life. Now, Quatius is the god of the sea, if you've forgotten that. I mentioned that very, very earlier, way back in the day. Quatius is the god of the sea. I've worshipped the sea god my entire life. And I was blessed with this stone. Falling from the heavens, it did. As the earth fell down around it, I thought I was going to die on that battlefield. But instead I found this. I thought it was just a valuable gem I could sell for money. But when I realized what it really was, I returned to the sea. I spent most of my life on the sea. And now I will rule from the waters. Waters that right now you're in. Now the party was listening to him intently and didn't realize that the water behind him had just very slowly started to seep up. And looking down, they see that now, the bottom of their shoes and sandals, the water starting to rise towards them. They're in a cave with no way out, with someone who can control water. That's a problem. It was about that time that they rolled for initiative. Darsh rushes forward. Doesn't wait, doesn't hesitate. As soon as he sees the threat of water, he knows if the water fills this room, they're going to drown. This water dude, probably not. They don't know his name. All they know is likely he was someone on the battlefield that day. On which side, they don't know. But when the flying castle fell and the gems fell from the crown of Kabork, this guy got a hold of one of them. Somehow, at one point, he merged it to himself. Darsh charges in, and as he does, the water flows back over the face of the water guy. And as Darsh is his weapon, he raises his fist, and the water just comes flying out like a hammer, knocking Darsh back. The party scatters. Mercy starts coming from a different direction. Darsh doing his best to get back up. Starts coming back. Dandy starts flinging her stones from her hooptie, ranged weapon at this point, while trying to keep an eye on Artemis. Artemis begins casting a spell. Not a lot of spells she can use in this situation, but she does have some that will bless and assist her, her own friends, and make them hopefully a little bit more capable in combat. Blessing spells is d and D thing. So as those spells flash out. She's casting this spell. The thing attacks. And they go in it. Now, most of the, the things that Dandy is shooting are hitting the water. And again, it's like throwing a stone at a pond. It hits it and then slows down. Even with all the force she's doing, it may be just uncomfortably hitting him, but not enough to do any type of damage. The thing's hands have formed into basically water tridents at this point, And he's battling Mercy with one and Ar- uh, Darsh with another. And they've taken like almost a solid form. So they're deflecting, and they're trying to cut in as well. But again, when you're hitting the water, it's either bouncing off, and if they can get an attack on him, again, it's like hitting something surrounded by water. It slows down their attack. Uh, Neon asks, damage reduction. Artemis does not have any spells of that nature. Being a healing cleric, spells like that exist, but they do not end up in her repertoire. It's not something that she can do. She could do some defensive shielding stuff. And she gets a little bit better about that down the road, but this early on, she doesn't have much. Uh, what she has, of course, definitely healing, blessing, things of that nature, uh, which makes her people harder to hit, more defensible, but doesn't really reduce any of the damage of when they do get hit, based on the spells that she had at the time. Uh, I met the Water Lord with the Sheath of Liquid. Yes, very much so. Yeah, so anytime you hit that, it, it definitely it definitely is reducing damage, especially on the range stuff. Now, mercy attacking with a blunt weapon within just a moment or so she tosses it aside she just drops it and draws her sword because the the blunt weapon's not doing much hitting the water uh let me see here i got a comment says matthias rose says you have the best videos and tutorials i'm brazilian and the economy of my country sucks (laughs) if i got more money i'll become a member so really thanks for all the tutorials and fun lives well hey you are very welcome i'm glad that they were helpful i'm glad that you enjoyed them thank you very much for stopping by and I wish you the best of luck in Brazil. <laughs> I love it when you hear international folks pop up. That's awesome. So the combat. She drops her morning star, goes to her sword. She does have her shield. Darsh also has a shield, which is helpful. But Darsh drops his shield pretty quickly and draws a second sword. Um, because his sec- he's not ambidextrous, so he doesn't do as much damage with the other sword. But in this situation, while trying to parry and stab, they both realize quickly stabbing's the best thing they can do. Because stabbing is literally cutting through the water better than any type of slash or blunt weapon can do. Dandy realizes this as well. Her first thought is to try to get out her daggers, but then again, the daggers themselves aren't that long. She's afraid the same situation is going to happen. They, they may go in and do a little bit more damage, but not much. So Dandy has an idea. Dandy starts trying to run up behind Darsh. So as she's trying to get closer, she's keeping Darsh between her and our water friend here. Mercy manages to score a very successful hit on the arm. Literally, the water, not just blue, starts to see flowing red in there. This is awesome, from their point of view, because it means they can still hurt him. He is still flesh underneath the water. They just have to get through the water. And even though he's making his hands solid to hurt them, he's not making the rest of his body solid in any way. They realize that maybe he can't, maybe he doesn't think of it, maybe there's a reason. They don't know. But they're taking full advantage of that. So Mercy, will try and deflect the shield, is stabbing. managed to get a good cut on his arm. Darsh just double-blading it. So Dandy is just running. And as she's running, she's splashing because at this point, the water is almost up to her knees. To everyone else, it's up to their... To Darsh, it's barely to his shins. But to everyone else, it's it's getting up there. The water is slowly rising in the room. Artemis, again, seeing her friends take an, an injury here and there, is using some of her healing spells. The way her healing spells work, she can do healing from a distance, but it does less healing than if she was able to touch the person. So, in that situation, the way that her clerical magic works on Merge World is a little bit different than traditional DD. There's some differences there. She can heal without touching. It just does less effect. Right. So. Dandy running up very, very quickly dives into the water because, again, at this point, like I said, it's past the knees on her. Between Darsh's legs, swimming through and staying underwater, holding her breath. Now, whether or not the water gentleman notices it or not, he pays her no heed, as he's continuing to fight both Darsh and Mercy, very effectively. Now, whether the guy's a super warrior or not, how good is warrior training, we don't know, but with his abilities, he clearly is doing well. And as the water gets deeper and Mercy are having a bit harder time moving in it. They're starting to take more hits because they're they're slower getting out of the way where it doesn't seem to be affecting him at all. He's, he's moving through the water as if there was none there. So even though they've scored more hits on him, they're at the point now where the battle is actually starting to turn a bit against them. Dandy manages to get behind the gentleman and using her hoop pack, does the only thing she can is stab at it with that silver tip. Now in Dungeons and Dragons, rogues have an ability called backstab. If they're successfully able to do a stab from the back or a surprise attack, they get additional damage. Dandy is very good at putting herself in situations to make adv- to take advantage of that boost. She's done it in several of the battles. I've never really gone into a lot of that detail. She did it real great with Kabork way back in the uh, Citadel, flying up in the air. But this is a great situation where she used that to her advantage. And as one would think, stab him in the back. Sharp. If it can get through the water, it might pierce his skin. You know, hit him in the back of the head. Hit his skull. Dandy didn't do these things. Dandy immediately went for the groin. And so from behind and underneath, she just stabs up with this metal spike on the tip of her hollow wood. And again, with it being water, even though it slowed down a little, it's like shooting a bullet in water. It's still going to have more movement than something blunt. And she is successful. Very much so. The water comes off the guy's face as he screams in pain. Because he just got stabbed in his manly bits. Darshan and Mercy didn't know what was going to happen there, but they take advantage of it and manage to score a couple successful hits. But in pain and rage he starts flailing with his hands which have gone from hard to liquid again and they stretch out like almost like whips and start battering Darsh and Mercy backwards as he spins to find the source of his pain. And he sees Dandy. And without even thinking just puts his hands in the water and Dandy can feel the water tightening around her throat. As he's literally is choking her with water. With an incredible strength that she can literally almost feel cracking. She can feel like her body giving in from the strength of it. You know, if you ever popped your knuckles kind of thing. You're feeling that pressure as it's starting to pop bones. Darsh and Mercy, gathering their feet, just start attacking him from behind. Stabbing, slashing. But even the... Very, very venom-like. The water on the back just starts thrashing out backwards as well, bantering them, not in specific attacks, but just in flailing tentacles of water because he's not paying attention. He's focused on killing Dandy. Darsh and Mercy are trying to struggle their way through it when suddenly there's a glow from between them and Artemis is there. And she begins smacking with her staff. Art Dandy feels the pressure loosening up a little bit, but her being underground, or underwater, I'm sorry, first thought of being choking is to inhale. She just starts sucking in water, and now she's starting to drown. She's still being held underwater, but without as much pressure on her throat. The figure inside the water spins. Understand me, the water stays as it is. The tendril's still hanging, but he spins inside of it. And is attempting now... To go at Artemis. Because that staff... Which also has a stone... It's a healing stone... Seems to be going through the water... As if the water is not there. These stones are comparable. None of them are... Would, you, would say more powerful than the others... Depending on how they're used. But just while her staff... Is going through the water like it's nothing... He's ignoring her hits the same way. His water hits are able to attack her, and they're going on and on and on. Darsh, moving around the best he can, starts slashing at the water tendrils that are holding Dandy and manages to, to cut through them. And as they do, they just like a limb, they cut off and the water falls. And he's able to reach down with one hand and pull her up and literally just pull her up and throw. Grabs her by her shirt ...and throw him behind her... ...back towards the way they came in... ...to get her out of range. He doesn't know how hurt she is... ...but right now he's just got to get her out of there. And he's strong. So he's able to talk... There's water. He's not, not going to land on a hard floor. Shows her, she lands in the water... ...and then he returns... ...and starts stabbing again. The battle continues... ...for a couple more... ...I guess you'd say rounds of D&D... ...when it's Mercy... ...who successfully... ...is able to stab through the water... Into the person's into the water guy's stomach. I call him water guy because we never get his name. It's not important. But she manages to run him through. The water starts to glow go red, fill up as his blood starts leaking out. And again, it's oh (laughs) Len the Beast says, I'll be going now. Great story. Oh well, we're actually almost done. (laughs) If you get a chance, swing by and catch the end of it later. Thanks for coming by, Beast. (laughs) But as he as, he's, as they're attacking there, he, you see the water's trying to hold it in. But he can't control the blood. He can't control the liquid. He can control water. So the blood is still starting to spread throughout the water. But he starts again flailing madly, and, and Darshan and them are beat back a bit. Same with Artemis. At this point, his face is exposed. And he's just screaming, you could say, obscenities and angry, and angerish noise and guttural sounds. He's been stabbed in the manly bits, he's been stabbed in the stomach and he's in quite a bit of pain but he still has a lot of power in him. And to be honest, it's very possible that the gem itself has taken him over, or at least partially has. So, it may be moving his body in ways that he normally would have died by this point. This is something that crosses everybody's mind after the fact. What the what type of power does the stone have itself over you if you merge with it? And he's starting, and as he's screaming, water is just pouring out of his mouth, and he manages to knock Artemis down, and he pushes Darsh back and Mercy back with a wave of water, and he's just flailing with basically like a water log, if you will. It's water, but he's just beating down on Artemis at this point. Well, Darsh and Mercy are staying to get back up again, and as his hand comes up to be done, Dandy throws a dagger and manages to get him clean in the eye. Roaring back, he's screaming again. Of course, this guy screams a lot. There's a lot of screaming here. It's half beast, half person at this point. Nothing against you, Len the Beast, who just commented. This is not the cool beast like you. This is a very evil beast. Um but during that moment, the dagger gets him clean in the eye. Dandy is 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 mad with her throwing dagger. She's not as good melee dagger. She's ranged dagger specifically. She can melee fight, but all of her perks are in ranged dagger. She snags him in the eye. As you would see in very often a movie book, in just defiant anger, the thing that's basically a thing at this point, just leans forward and just screams towards Dandy and raises its hands up, and, and as it's raising up the water now is getting up to everyone's stomach, Dandy's almost chest high in water, not higher he raises his hands up and you see the water behind him starting to flow up as if he's going to hurl it forward this is actually how it happened too i was very proud of it and mercy again mercy saving the day hauls off and hits him in the face and that dagger as hard as she can with her shield she just and that just drives the the blade straight back in. And the noise stops. and the water just everything just hangs there. Like literally the water droplets are just sitting in the air and everything kind of freezes. And then the water just falls. Much like it did when you were in that first room and you felt that bucket water fish thing I talked about, the water falls, and everybody, you know, if you're standing in a pool and all of a sudden the water's gone, You've been trying to float. Everybody falls to the ground. Everybody's quickly trying to get to their feet. Better, Worse for wear. Everybody's beat up. Um, Artemis has got a big old black eye and swollen on her face where she was getting beat down. Uh, Mercy and Darsha both got numerous... Because he was hitting blunt-wise. He wasn't spiking. So they got multiple bruises and contusions from blunt force trauma. And then Dandy has still got what looks like rope marks, thick rope marks around her neck where he was strangling her. But they're all alive. They grapple for their weapons but the body of the guy is just sitting there on the edge of that water pool which has gone back to the way it was. Mercy, grabbing Artemis, starts pulling her back towards Dandy. Mercy's first thought in this situation is gotta get her back out of this melee range in case that guy's not down. Darsh, not so much. He rushes in and flips the guy over. You can see just the blood flowing out of his eyes, and there's still water pouring out of his nose and mouth. And his lips are moving like he's trying to, trying to say something. And Darsh doesn't hesitate. He just takes his sword and beheads him straight there. Pops the head off. It was the only thing he can think of is separate that gem from the rest of the body. That was his thought. Not separate the head. Separate the gem. Because if the gem is causing all the trouble. He doesn't know if the gem is still going to work if it's just attached to a head, but it does not. Soon as the head separates from the body, it looks just like a wet, messy body and blood stuff coming out. And, it t- and the head rolls to the side and it rolls a little bit. But as it rolls, the gem falls off and is just laying on the ground. Darsh does not want to touch the gem. But Darsh also doesn't want something to happen to get washed in that water pool, and they lose it in the bottom. So, against his better judgment, he quickly grabs it, scoops it up, and opening up one of his belt pouches, drops it in and ties it off. Then he backs away from the body, just in case. They make their way, or they make way back. Artemis does some healing spells and such, helps everybody best that they can, although they're all pretty worse for wear. There's no way they exit other than that pool or back the way they came. But now that his magic's not the back the way they came, they're not sure what's back there. Without anything else to do, they do their best to rush back. Slowly, because they're still sore. Healing spells are great, but didn't heal everything. Artemis still has a black eye because she did use most of her spells on Dandy and the others. She only used enough on herself to keep her conscious and keep her going. Uh, man, these guys got thrashed during this adventure. <laughs> they did. Yes, they. They. Uh, it, it was. Luckily, they. The, the person who had the stone was just a regular person who found it. If it was somebody with any real skills or abilities to use it to more of its potential, they would have had a problem. And that's something I really wanted them to learn in this part of the adventure. They had some serious trouble here, but this was easy sauce. Compared to if the stone's in the hands of somebody who really can use its potential. So as they get back to the original chamber, the one that they fell down with, they realize the floor is wet, ankle deep in water, which is kind of splashed out. But now there's just a hole going up to the lagoon. And it's actually only about 10 or 15 feet. It's not that deep at all. But as they get up there, look up, they can hear voices calling down, yelling up. First mate's head pops up there. And luckily, giving one's idea, the first mate, they throw some rope down, tied to a tree. First mate and some of the guys come down. The party explains what happens. They say to the first mate, just the first mate, we got the stone we were looking for. Because the captain and the first mate knew what they were what they were there for. Nobody else the thing did. He's like, okay, gotcha. They explain all the other stuff that's there in the rooms and so on and so forth. It's decided, you know, they immediately are like, okay, we need to let the captain know. Some are sent back to tell the captain. Some are meant to go and start gathering the things of value so they can start lugging it up. Because there's a lot of wealth down here. I mean, this is several months worth of ships of treasure and such. They want to take back out as much as they can. Well, at the same time, being aware of now that this has happened, this island wasn't here before. Guy must have somehow risen the island, but not sure what all the capabilities... Will it stay up here? So they feel that they could be on a timeline. So they're hurrying. So they do their best and they get out of there. The party gets back to the ship. Um, they're there for basically the rest of the day and into the next day because the ships are just going back and forth bringing on all the goods that they can get. And it turns out there was a lot. Even in that water, flat water behind the body, there was more stuff submerged. And they pull out a ton of loot, if you will, of things of value that guy was taking from the ships. Um, the body, they burn. Because you know, they don't want to take any chances. They pull it out and they burn it. And then they spread the ashes into the water. Because, you know, better safe than sorry. So, after a couple days of getting this all up, the party resting and such, the captain is overjoyed. He's like, You've clearly found what was taking our stuff. Not only did you do that, we got a lot of it back. Sadly, there are no signs of the people who were on the ship or the ships themselves. We can only assume that their lives were lost. That's very sad sauce. We're not happy about that. But we've basically taken out the thing that's hurting our shipping lanes. We're returning with a ton of loot, a value that was lost. Um, And now there's an island here that we can potentially claim and see what else we can do with it. Because, you know, we're first ones here. So the captain is viewing this as very much win. Plus, he didn't lose any of his crew. This is the best case scenario for him. All this stuff got done, and he didn't lose a person. Um, now, he understands that the party was a very big part of that, and sh- he's not an egotistic guy. He is fine with sharing, sharing that credit, but it's still going to look good for his career, and he's happy his people are okay. He's a good guy. So, it takes a good week to get back to Paxowall, but they finally get back, return the stuff, and give the stuff, uh, or re- get back and, and explain what happens. Um, they get to talk to Jax, who's the head of the Navy again, who's very excited about what's happened when they give the report. Sister Mara is there. They explain to Sister Mara that they've got another gem. She's very happy about that as well. Basically, everything came up positive. But best of all, after being back for a day or so, they are called from their rooms one morning where they're eating breakfast, where they're called, and some guys come in that they don't know. And they introduced themselves, and I'm not giving their names now because it's not important. They introduced themselves as some of the head of the Merchants Guild. And they also wanted to thank the party for their part in clearing the lanes. Making it so that their ships feel safer. Because they're at the point where people were starting to refuse the ships. Being able to say that they did this and all this loot was brought back is going to be very good for them. And they want to personally thank the party As well as under the um, very uh, forceful recommendation of both the temple and uh, the captain of the head of the navy, Jackson. They are advising them that the party is going to be receiving part of the uh, goods or value of goods that were recovered. Um, since they helped, and since some of that can't be really determined whose was what, who belonged to what, there's just a lot of wealth there. It's basically giving, being going back to the city um, and, and to the merchants' guild in general, being given up people who've lost stuff. But a fraction of it, uh, which is a large fraction, is being given to the party. So they have got themselves a small amount of treasure. And that is important because it allows them to upgrade some of their gear at this point. Um, but most importantly, the one thing that they do with that money is they purchase themselves a home. They've been staying in the temple for a while. They've been living here for weeks and working with these people. They figure it's time for them to have a place of their own. So basically, the, the four of them are going to stay together. They purchase in a average area. They purchase a three-story home. Two with an underground cellar and kitchen. That home becomes very important. And where it is... And who the neighbors are is something we're going to talk about next episode. But we're going to finish off this episode by saying that the party has successfully gained the second stone. And next week we're going to talk about their new neighborhood and talk about what they have to do to start going after their third stone. But I think this is a good stopping point. We've gone a little bit every every week. I seem to be going a little bit longer than the last one. But I always like to give a couple minutes. Did anybody have any questions about any of the things that I've covered this week, or anything's in the past? Anything about the characters? Um, if you are watching this later, please feel free to throw your questions or comments down in the description of this video. Um, or if you're listening to this as the audio podcast on iTunes, I appreciate all you folks as well. You can all go to onlydraven.com. Which is my website there's a link at the top that'll let you join the ODG Discord Only Draven Gaming Uh, you can come in there it's open to everybody we talk about Merge World and Minecraft and all the other stuff so if you have some questions feel free to join us in there on the website at the bottom of the homepage is also a place where you can send in specific email questions or um, comments or whatever I actually got two this week which is pretty awesome. I don't get a lot on there. It was kind of exciting to get some messages directly through the email. So thank you to those folks who did that. If you have questions, submit them there as well. you also find links to my streaming schedule, links to some of the Merge Worlds characters, pictures, and things that we've talked about. Um, if you don't have iTunes but would like to listen to these audio, um, you can also stream them directly from the website. They're there as well. The ODG store, Um, All my social accounts, all that kind of stuff are there. So there's a lot of great resources. I do recommend checking it out. Uh, We do have an ODG membership program as part of the channel. If you uh, are interested in seeing what's involved with that, just click the join button. You'll see all the different perks and such that come with an ODG membership. Never required. All my stuff is out there free, uh, but it does have some additional perks that come along with that if it's something you're interested in seeing about. Um, But yeah, I think that's a good spot to call it for this week. We've run two hours and 20 minutes. I got to be careful not to keep them too long or else my site won't be able to hold them in order to stream it to iTunes. It has to be a certain bitrate. rate. So um, I'm going to call this one a day. Thank you all for coming by and listening to my story. Or if you're listening to it later, thank you very much for your interest. I've got some really awesome questions and feedback about Merge World in the last couple weeks from some new people that have found it. So I really appreciate everybody who's been showing attention to it. Um, I'm going to have a lot more D&D comment um, or content in the future and a lot of that's going to be based on this world and these people so uh it's important to me it's important i get to share it with you uh special thanks of course uh to all of my members all of you guys for being part of that i appreciate it and again special thanks to my moderators uh, neon and Gus, for helping me keep everything up and running uh but i'm going to call that one a day again thank you everyone so much for coming by today if you like the stream please be sure to click like and if you haven't already hit subscribe And in two weeks from now, we'll be doing the next episode. So thank you very much for coming. You all have yourselves a great day.